Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Cody Westerland was a farmer. What? He was like a 4-H champion. He raised a prize pig. I'm not making this up. Don't believe Dan for one second. He took one look at Cody's zip code, and he has made this entire backstory. That's not true. On Cody. I don't believe you. The guy's got blue ribbons, and it's probably the best bacon they ever had in your life. He ate him after he yeah, won all the prizes with them? What do you think you get the prize? him to slaughter him. Yes, he That's did. his buddy. He raised him to get they did. What do you think they do? All right, so Cody texted me during the break, and he said, Dan is correct. I was in 4-H for several years, and one of my pigs won a blue ribbon at the county fair one time. He then said, the pigs did go to slaughter. Oh, it's so nice. They go to slaughter. Where are you going today? Oh, I think I'll get my nails done and then go to slaughter. It all starts here in the high-density feedlot. Then when the cattle are just right, it's time for them to graduate from Bovine University. I think Studs and Cody Westerland took the Jackie Robinson statue. <laughs> the C, the C, oh. that's not right. Don't, don't put that on me. <laughs> don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on us. Bernstein and Hope. Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I wasn't making stuff up. I knew what I was talking about. He did. He was a, he was a 4-H champion with a blue ribbon prize pig, and they killed it. And they ate it. What are you talking about? Cody Westerland and his and with that was the he, argument he yesterday. He never said that he ate it. He he well, did. Somebody say, ate it, yeah, but he didn't say that he ate it. Right, because that might be kind of hard. It's like, oh, fluffy. We yeah. had so much fun together, but you're so delicious. Not fluffy. He said he wasn't funny. No, he's hilarious. No, he might be delicious, but not funny. It's gonna be one of those days where no. I ask you to focus no. and you guys talk it out. No, it's all good. I just good. sit here and listen. It's all to good. People work through stuff. I'm focused. As fifty would say, I'm focused, man. Main. Focus, main. He wouldn't say that. What's up, main? Matty refuse. Hey, main. Man, everybody says that. I don't know. What's up yours? I don't know. How you been? You good? (laughs) I am. What a raised laugh. (laughs) I can somehow hear your raised laugh with headphones on through a soundproof window. I'm loud. I'm sorry. But what the hell? (laughs) It's so (laughs) good. What kind of start to this show? Woo! Can I give away a state secret? So sometimes the best... The best interviewing, as everybody here knows, is you just sit quietly 
and then somebody will fill the space. This is going great. And that's, that's, that's when you've got them. That's my vibe today. I'm just let everyone say what they got to say today. Just when you guys need me, let me know. That's I got not st- how this works. I got culture is That's awesome. not how any of this works. It is. That's how transition worked. I was just like easy. I was just sitting there just like, okay. Folks, you got stuff to say today. A lot of it. Now, there's two pieces of chicken. What? Usually, you only bring one. It no, looks I less bring... sad when there's two. I bring two. <laughs> I may not eat both. It looks like that makes a little more sense than we just Usually have like you bring the, like a five. two cent sandwich bag and it's filled well, with one piece of chicken. Well, I, this is what I had today, so I brought it in. So that's it's it's here in case it's just knowing it's there is half the battle. Makes you feel better. Yes, just, I get that. Just knowing I have it, that means I, it's sort of like Layla with her coffee. When she'll no, have I coffee. consume it. But I know, but you have it, and then you'll always you'll, you'll have more in case, and you'll save it for later. It's just it's it's my it's a security chicken blanket. I go with water, twenty ounces of water. Coffee. I don't drink coffee within the first three hours of waking up. Really, I wouldn't be able to do that. I get a. It makes me headache. all jittery. Yeah, it's the, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup and feeling all jittery. The no, Folgers I... machines are broken. The Folgers machine. It's still broken. Yeah, sack machine. What the hell. Right. I, I think it's, I think it's permanently broken. I think it needs to be taken out to pasture. I've taken to slaughter. It needs to be taken to slaughter. I, I say try- put out to pasture two studs. I tried to That's toast my bagel yesterday, and toaster doesn't work either. Oh come on! Was it plugged no. in? What? Was it I plugged? Sometimes it in. it's unplugged. No. Oh, you I- guys are in luck. I have a spare toaster oven. I just bought a new one. Don't bring it here. Yeah, I was gonna say the yeah, same thing. No. I gonna, don't need it. I mean, if bring it here, but know that it, it'll be broken within a matter of minutes. That's really sad. And like our little store, <laughs> like it's just gone. Oh, well, we've we've got top people on that. No, hey, the the one at NBC also left too. Oh, it's got to be the same one. Yeah, it must be going around. The little like the honor system one. Yeah. Where, no, that, I mean we it was were... never an honor system one. By the way, it was never Damn, an honor system. Just it, it was never on the honor system. <laughs> you no, have you to pay for no, it. No, you pay for right, but it's not like behind glass or anything. I'm beginning yeah, they, to understand the... why it's gone. It's why the Amazon, that's how the Amazon store works. Well, no, that thing no, upstairs, the Amazon, I'm not, you scan first, and then you walk it in. It's just the prices were so insane, I never bought anything up the there. Amazon I wasn't going to pay like $4 for a bag of peanuts. The Amazon prices are the same as retail. I've checked. Not Amazon, the one up here. It was, they were gouging yeah, On the 10th floor. Oh, yeah, it's true. I don't go up there. It was ridiculous. It was like but an, now it's an, like an gone. apple was like $2. There's like two bags of M&Ms left. Yeah, ours, ours had the same issue. Just yeah. went away one day. Yep. Was it the same company? It's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, that's going around. Did they show a picture of us on it? Yeah. (laughs) That's all we need is our picture in the Tribune. I didn't know Bernstein Homes had snack kiosks. No kidding. Yes, we also bankrupted them. Yes, we ruined the snack kiosk business, too. I paid for mine. (laughs) I finally learned how to use that thing, too. Ray was so nice, and him and Studs were super patient. They're like, "This is how it works, old man." I was like, "Oh, great, got it." Now nothing. It's pretty much the same as a self checkout at, at a jewel or whatever. Jewels, jewels. Excuse me, jewels. And, and now I'm being farm splained. Cody's hog likely had no name. Once farm animals have names, they become pets. A hog with no. That's name. just an illustration of boundaries. <laughs> you Dan. don't eat pets. <laughs> Been through the desert on a hog with no name. <laughs> That's seriously just boundaries. I mean, okay. I, di- I didn't know that you. if you raise a prize pig, you don't give it a name. What do you call it? 
You call it by a serial number? Pig. Babe. Well, it's like, you know, somebody would refer to their prize cow as like the Holstein is like two years old. Or, you know, studs, you know what I'm talking about. Why does studs have to know what you're talking about? Because he knows. I'm lobbying for Cody's nickname to be Pig. No. Pig Westerling. I like it. Works, right? Yeah, I think it sounds good. Shout out to former bear Pig Simmons. I hope he's doing well. Lachavius Pig Simmons. Is he still working? Or I mean, in football. I don't know. He might still be working, but is he still working in football? He seemed like a nice young man. You could always use backup offensive linemen. Because they had Lachavius Simmons and Arlington Hambright at the same time on the That's where the stadium's going, at the Arlington Hambright. Because you had Pig and you had Hambright. So you got a whole branding uh, possibility there. Uh, we were going to talk about uh, the coordinators staying. We still can. Okay. We still got a few minutes. I think that it's really interesting that that you have the two guys that most people thought were going to end up with head coaching jobs who said, no, thank you. And I know that the report on Ben Johnson was, well, he was asking for too much money, and he can't ask for too much money. Perhaps he asked for too much money because he didn't want your crappy job. And that's the type of money it would have taken for him to take your crappy job. I mean, that's and it. Good for him. That's it. Good here. for him. First of all, yesterday's price is not today's price. Mm-hmm. That happens quite often. But additionally, how are we not seeing that there are organizations where you know something bad is happening? We absolutely know that, that there are bad jobs in the NFL and there are badly constructed teams and dysfunctional teams. We talk about it all the time. Do we know who Ben Johnson's agent is and who Bobby Slowick's agent is? Trace Armstrong. I, I was just going to say, what, what if they're both represented by Trace Armstrong? And Don Yee! Well, if you're, if you're either one of those guys, you look around and you say, first, what am I dealing with here? Do I like the job that I have? And not everyone is driven by the idea of I have to get to the next thing next. It might be I really enjoy being here or I would in the case of Ben Johnson, maybe not so much with Bobby Sloyd. I would like to see this thing to its conclusion. That's it for me. Like you can't what's unfinished business worth. And in the case of both of those coordinators, when you've made it this far, why wouldn't you want to see a project through if you could if you had the chance? If, if you're not pressed and you're not, like, like running to a bad job just because. And people often will talk about jobs in, in sports. Well, you know, there's, there's only 32 of them. Right. But if, if you don't want one of them. But if I don't want to go work in Washington because organizationally they've been poor for a really long time. Why not stay at a place where you feel like there's still something to accomplish? We sure feel that way about where quarterbacks land. Or maybe you just like your job. And this sounds weird that it's okay to like what you do for a living. Yes. And there have been how many coordinators who were incredibly uncomfortable, dysfunctional Head coaches. One it is working happens. right now. Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. How quick did it was, take for him to get a job again? And he was never happy doing. He never seemed happy as a head coach. He was never cut out for it. He almost took it because it was sort of time and he was, it, maybe he, he wanted to well, at the time. Well, he was he 60 did. when he took the job, so he was probably thinking it's either now or never. Who was the- I mean, I think he did. He He wanted a head coaching shot. I think that's... Pretty obvious in his action. But Ben Johnson's 37. Right. And there's going to be head, unless unless the Lions absolutely fall off a cliff next year, and even still, 
I mean, Luke Getzey was getting offensive coordinator job uh, interviews. So Ben Johnson will probably still have an opportunity to be a head coach, but pick your spot. Instead of looking at this as saying, well, I've got to take this because it's offered to me. Why not? And say, what's the best thing for me? Who was the longtime Steelers, the longtime AFC defensive coordinator into his 70s? Oh, uh, Dick LeBeau. Dick oh, LeBeau. Yeah. Remember, and then he went down to Tennessee for a little bit. Dick LeBeau. Right? Don't you remember how disastrous his, that when he was a head coach and everyone, we sort of held it up as this just because you're a, a godfather level coordinator doesn't mean you're cut out for everything that the head coaching job well, is. Well, I'm not even talking about like failing at the job of being a head coach, but the idea of do I have to take this just because it's what the next thing is. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it you don't have to like if if you like what you do and like Layla said if there's unfinished business that you're trying to to accomplish, maybe the accomplishment means more to you. Or maybe you're wired, whereas you can't move until the thing is exhausted, until you either get to where you're going or the time is up on that particular lifespan of of team. Or maybe your family doesn't want to move. Maybe your wife has uh, works and has her friends or her parents are in the air. Like, there's so many things here that are really important that are, have nothing to do with your career ambitions if you care about the happiness of other people in your family who matter to you. We often, it's a part of, like, grind culture, too, where, oh, well, you got to go and secure the bag. What if it's a really bad situation? Just because the bag is being offered doesn't mean that it that it's a great opportunity. Dan Campbell illustrated, though, the ephemeral nature of all of this when he said the quiet part out loud after the game on Sunday, when he said, you know, you don't know if you get another shot at this. And I feel like that mentality also applies for some to head coaching jobs. But maybe the most important stat in the NFL this year is how every single team has had turnover at the offensive coordinator position since 2021. It's pretty incredible. And that would indicate that you don't always have to go when the system says you need to. And and may I also say that this, to me, kind of goes with a larger point that I've been trying to get across for months and probably years, is that it offers teams the opportunity to think outside of what the consensus is on who you should hire. You have to get more creative in who you hire to be the head coach. And the job requirements for head coach are different than what they are for offensive coordinator. And we don't talk about that enough. You know what we do talk about, though, is the job requirements for head coach being different than defensive coordinator. A lot. Mm -hmm. And there are some Unless you have a head coach that does both at the same time. Right, which is, uh, in my opinion, Pennywise and Pound Foolish. But the, uh, the, the best teams that you see, it's the rarity where you have the Kyle Shanahan's who can do both and it's still okay. That's right. That's the outlier. That's the exception. I think part of what you say about grind culture, too, is also the brotherhood, the union culture of the reason why you have to keep pursuing the next thing is, first of all, it opens up jobs 
and and then you are the the salaries keep going up and you're setting a precedent and when one person gains everybody gains and it's like you are beholden in the industry to constantly be climbing the ladder and it may be looked at like why why didn't that guy go why isn't that job open why didn't somebody take that job because you don't have to yep you like the view from where you're at yep see i told you we could talk about it next we'll talk about how quickly this 78 project seems to be chugging along. Now the commissioner has weighed in on it. Maybe we should take a little opportunity to pause and discuss these things. Yeah, because in the, the world of follow the money, if, if you didn't read all the way down to the very bottom of some of these articles, the money doesn't always add up the way you think it might. The math ain't mathing. We'll talk about that as it pertains to the White Sox in their new stadium, question mark. Bernstein, Holmes, Rahimi here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. The thing they got me was, I thought, okay, great. I knew because a new stadium would have the, the, the skyline behind it, a new neighborhood around it, all those things. Then I thought, well, guaranteed rate field, White Sox Park, surrounded by 70 acres of parking, you could keep that stadium and build, you know, a neighborhood there. And and, and the, the Sox have been resistant to that, although it's publicly owned. The Illinois Sports Facilities Authority owns the stadium, but Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, basically has say-so what does and doesn't happen in those parking lots. I, I thought, why not improve what's there uh, as opposed to going to build another stadium and then having to worry about what, what to do with the one that's left behind. The great Lee Bay, Sun-Times architecture critic and professor, with his thoughts about a lot of sports real estate stuff going on in this city. And it certainly looks like something went from hot rumor to, oh, this is more likely happening than not on a fairly advanced, accelerated timetable. That's what it feels like. And it. It's funny, like, the way that people talk about it, too, I, I think is weird. I I didn't realize that there was just so much venom for where Guaranteed Rate Stadium is. Like, the way people talk about it, oh, well, I mean, the the access that you'll have to downtown. Like, we're talking about a, a two-mile difference between where the stadium actually is and where the proposed stadium is going. Like... Two miles. And and people are acting like the like the White Sox have been playing out in the suburbs for forever. It's it's very strange. When, when the current access is phenomenal. Yes. And you're gonna have there's gonna have to be a significant amount of work done for the stadium proposal in the 78 to have similar access. Correct. And if you're and don't give me what if you're floating the idea of water taxis, that that's a non starter. I get out of here with that. Yeah, when you need the uh, the early 2000s hip-hop music video transportation is your solution. <laughs> like, if it's a boat or a helicopter, then maybe that's not your best. Yeah, that's move. a novelty. If there are water taxis, like, oh, isn't that cute? And you, that's, you're coming out of commercial. Here's a shot of the, the famous White Sox water taxi. That's fine. But that you're not talking about infrastructure 
and actual access points. Yeah, that's not that's not a way for a big swath of people Correct. to get to your game comfortably. And there's this all... isn't a Nori video. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> what, what, there is a, a read my He's lips in the Philippines moment what, what, what. in here when Rob Manfred said Reinsdorf has assured him it would require read my lips no new taxes. No, but... no new taxes, but it would require a diversion of current tax revenue. This is Greg Hines from Cranes, who says it could involve shifting revenues from an existing 2% tax on Chicago hotel rooms to the new facility because those tax reven- revenues now are directed to paying the continuing debt for the construction of Guaranteed Rate Field. But right. wait, there's more. It's also about the existing tax structure that has uh, been established with that particular property, that there are tax finance increments. Oh, TIFs. The TIFs, yeah. The, that, uh, the TIF funds that are in place to move the metro tracks mm-hmm. and then potentially build a CTA stop. So All perhaps of which you there have. are no new taxes. Oh, already. It, you literally have three pieces of public transportation within two blocks of each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gets you right there. The people who clearly don't live here and talk about the proximity to downtown have never driven to to Sox Park or taken, or taken the, train. the red line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was getting there clearly. <laughs> it's not like I had forgotten that I take the train. I don't drive to Sox Park, Dan. I don't have a car. But my point is... That would make is, it hard. Yeah, my point is... That's that's people who didn't do the actual study of the infrastructure that exists. It's two stops, isn't it? I feel like that it's not well, two stops from where? If if you took the red line from from 35th to Roosevelt, isn't it Roosevelt Chinatown? I mean, Roosevelt Chinatown 35th? I think that's right. I think it's I think that's the distance. Is two one more Rose there's Cermak. The yeah, there's definitely like there's one more in Chinatown Cermak. Yeah, but I thought there was one more. I can't think off the top of my head about the order of the red line stops. Point being, that wasn't really an issue. And I feel like that ballpark is is very up to date. Yes. There there's nothing wrong with their ballpark. I think that the part of some of the reason why like it feels accelerated and it's like, really, this is going on is because this isn't a franchise that's been winning anything. Yes, two stops. Yes. Roosevelt and then Cermak Chinatown is the same stop. And then? And then 35th. And on the green line. We're just impatient. On the green line, it's Roosevelt, Cermak, McCormick, 35th, Bronzeville, IIT. Right, which is two blocks away from the ballpark. Yes. And then there's a metro line that lets you off right at 35th Street in between the green line and the red line. But now it's like the proximity to downtown. It's five minutes on the it's red line. Two stops. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the part of this that I feel is uh it's it's clearly Jerry Reinsdorf doing what he can because of the existing lease that's up in twenty twenty nine. And whatever deal, aside from not paying rent that he he wants to get in place, thinking that a new stadium pretty close would somehow solve that issue. And you know what this is when when it's funny, they talk about a neighborhood stadium. Armor Square Park is a neighborhood. Bridgeport is a neighborhood. And this is my theory. 
Okay. And this is this. It, my theory is it goes back to the original mistake of the angle of the park. If we associated the center field view with downtown Chicago, no one would be saying any of this. The national narrative or this perception of distance, it was a huge mistake because it made it feel far away on the south side. If they had just turned it. And if everyone could just look, if they if they wouldn't have wanted to hold on to their address, this ex- ex- that's why it was a massive miscalculation. That's why they did that, it. The view that you talk about from that's from, why from the yeah walking to the parking structure <laughs> when, when you're walking down the ramp, when you're walking down the ramp and you look and you go, oh my god, what a gorgeous view of the city. Mm-hmm. They did the the, the the perception of distance would have been obviated by the appearance of the city from the park that you would see. All the time. There's there's also like the bigger issue, and and I think that Lee Bay brought it up in, inside the conversation. It's trading the development of one neighborhood for another. Yep. And and I don't know that that's okay. Like and and I I know that like listening to what some of the aldermen have said about it, like it doesn't seem to be an issue. But why should Chinatown Bridgeport? Because Chinatown is kind of moved a little bit south too into what people would believe is traditionally Bridgeport, why should they now have something that is an eyesore? Or why should all of those places, why should they suffer from a lack of further development inside their neighborhoods just so that a new neighborhood could get something to attach itself to? There's something else... When the, usually, like, that area of the city doesn't really need anything anyway. No, those that land is going to get developed. It's just a matter of time, especially with the TIF funds in place. But then there's also this. Did you guys see the part where they talk about Manfred said MLB would not directly finance the stadium but provide an indirect subsidy? Under league rules, stadium development costs are automatically deducted from required team revenue sharing payments. So the Sox could effectively have some of their costs covered by the league. Even though, as we found out in the latest draft order, the Sox don't receive revenue sharing. Yeah, they pay in. Follow the money. Yep. So is this a way to not have to pay as much in revenue sharing, get the the visual oh. orientation you want? Well, it's remember, revenue sharing is only inside the park itself, only in the walls of the ballpark. Everything else you own around it, everything else you own under some other corporate name beyond Chicago White Sox, that is your money and your money alone. But paying is still paying. Well, I mean, saying, but your only your revenue, the only measured revenue is inside the ballpark revenue, which is why, like with the Cubs, everything that goes on on the rooftops, everything owned by Hickory Street Partners, anything that is not inside the park, even the stuff out outside on Gallagher Way, right? But that's pay- not revenue that's shared. Paying is still paying, and receiving is still receiving. Right. That's my point. I just think that it's really interesting how accelerated this has been. Like it's just. Oh, like look at all this now! Now, like now, you've got the commissioner going public and talking about this idea. To I think, I think that it it in theory will help 
public perception that they're going to get this done. Yeah, um, if they make it a, seem inevitable. There's a reason Manfred talked about this. There's a right. reason Manfred is helping Cape for this cause. Exactly. And and I think that it's incumbent upon those of us who even think that it is a good idea, and I, I'm one of those people, it's incumbent upon us to keep everyone honest in this situation. Is it wrong that I like guaranteed rate field? No, it shouldn't be. There's nothing wrong with that place. Nothing. That's that's the rub. This isn't a, a decrepit stadium that's falling apart. This isn't a stadium that's bad. This this isn't a stadium, despite what people say, is in a bad neighborhood. The owner wants a new stadium. That's what this is. And we need to talk about it that way. If the owner wants a new stadium, the owner should pay for a new stadium. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about the Bulls' miserable performance last night because it was just that. Mike Florio is going to join us after the top of the hour, too, so don't go anywhere. Bernstein and Holmes with Layla in today on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score. Raps are going to advance. This is going to be the ball game here as Toronto comes in to the United Center and they steal a ball game. In game two of six straight on the road, the two teams settled for two and two in their four-game series. In the final from the United Center, Toronto 118 and the Bulls 107. That's what you get, Chuck Swirsky, for his 70th birthday, Bulls. That's the present. That present for him is a big turd in his cake with that performance. Happy birthday! Come on, man. I, that I think was, his cake was fine. That was brutal. They that gave was, him a, a hat. That was such a bad loss. He should have been dancing in his dancing shoes on his birthday. He was for a little while with Benny the Bull. That was who presented him with the cake and the hats. Yeah, him and Bill's cake that was, was fine. That was that that performance was lazy and dumb and sloppy. I said if we wanted to fully illustrate the sadness of this game we could just stop talking for the last seven minutes and 11 seconds of the segment because that's how long it took for them to only score three points via free throws that DeMar Dunk was the last field goal they made such a great feeling like things were looking like they were they were starting to steady and then you end up in problems in the last few minutes of the game where you you didn't have a second option last night. Kobe didn't have a good shooting night for them last night. So DeMar ends up in the the hero ball like stuff, which usually works and was working to a certain degree last night. But then the doubles came. And then he tried to pass out of them. And then they allow 11 points off turnover in the fourth quarter because of it. Stacey King identified it. And was talking about some of the issues with DeMar having the ball in those situations and what his teammates need to do when he's doubled. But right now, Stacey, it almost seems like everyone's looking at DeMar, hoping that he can bail him out. Well, that's what I talked about. You can't, you know, you can't just sit back and be a spectator. You know, he's got the ball. They're doubling him. Every single time he's had the ball at the top of the circle, once he got him that little run, Toronto's coaches said double, get the ball out of his hands, and they're coming with length. So as they're coming to trap, Someone's got to come and get open. It becomes a fast break opportunity now. You don't, you're not going to try to throw the ball to the middle of the free throw line. You want to try to get it to the wing and then have the guys at the free throw line dive to the basket. It'll be a layup there. 
And we got our guards are too far in the corners. That's part of it. And one one thing you can do is you can make them double out of screen roll rather than choosing the extra defender. If you bring Kobe, for example, and you run a screen roll with Kobe White, it's going to be Kobe White's defender. If they want to blitz screen roll off of that and double him off of that, fine. But you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to force him into conflict. If you're letting them pick the doubling defender rather than having them rotate off of your best shooter or your worst shooter, I should say, they're initially able to send a guy off a bad shooter. You're, you're, you're letting them choose rather than your offensive set dictating where the likely double teamer is coming from. At some point, you just run out of shot creators and quality talent that you expect on your team. We learned that Patrick Williams has acute bone edema before the game. The starting lineup includes two bench players who you don't normally see. They had to go small, obviously. You know, Io and Caruso were both starting last night. We were trying to figure out Julian Phillips' minutes. The Raptors have lost nine of ten games and go into the United Center, and they're able to do exactly what they needed to do in the third and fourth quarters. Well, now the Bulls have lost three out of four. I, Bulls I heard... were up by as many as 16, and they let this loss. one slide. And I don't know how loss. many times in highlights recently I've said, Bulls were up by as many as 21. Bulls were up by as many as 16. Bulls were up by as many as some double-digit lead that's significant, and you just see the thing go away. This is another example that it's it's ridiculous that we're talking about them going seven minutes without scoring a field goal to end a game. And if you can hear acute bone edema to something other than the rhythm of funky cold Medina, then you are a stronger person than I. I just thought it sounded gross. It's just it's a bone Swelling. bruise. Bone bruise. Yeah, edema is swelling, and that's, you know... Sounds uncomfortable. Edema sounds uncomfortable. Edema sounds more uncomfortable than swelling, even though it's the same thing. But I guess it it sounds... It's a bone bruise. Well, I heard Billy talking about the injuries, and I'm not not giving him that out. This team has been this even when they have been relatively healthy. So... I get that you know Patrick Williams is really important to to your rotation, but you got good minutes out of Julian Phillips yesterday. Your the whole point of extending Vooch was that he was supposed to be someone who was an offensive uh, an offensive threat, and he has not been as much of an offensive threat over the last six weeks of Bulls basketball. He's been terrible from the three-point line, and his decision-making has been questionable, in my opinion. But he has to be really good on offense to make up for his defensive deficiencies. Right, and he he has not been that. The other thing is, like to read Darnell's piece or Cowley's piece this morning about it, the Bulls, just, for me, I'm, I'm only going to speak for me on this, it's, it just seems like everything is stuck in the mud. And if they are unwilling to trade Caruso, who's their, the, the thing that the person is going to bring them back the most. They can't trade Zach. They've already extended Vooch, and they're probably going to extend DeMar. I don't know where this is going when you don't have any real draft capital. And yes, Kobe White is improved, and every day that we get a chance to watch him, I'm excited about seeing him play. But he hasn't improved to the point where you feel like it's his team 
and he's the guy that can can win you games consistently. But you needed him last night. It was right there. A hundred percent. You needed him last night. What are you thirteen and six, which isn't a bad night. It's just not what you needed to finish that game off. I feel like we're talking about the dependence on Kobe White now. Like, we talk about the dependence on Lonzo Ball when he was here. And that's the problem is they committed to this when they decided to extend Vooch. And they had they had to ask some things of him. And we all thought that playing through him was going to bring more offensive production. And then we get the quote this morning from Darnell that's making waves right now. With a week remaining before the NBA's trade deadline, few within or around the Bulls organization anticipate the franchise making a major move. If the Bulls swing a deal before the February 8th deadline, most will be surprised. It's not that the Bulls can't make a trade, but there's a prevailing belief that the front office won't commit to something substantial. And we've seen nothing to indicate since the Vooch trade at the deadline two years, three years ago now, that that's been the case. It doesn't make a lot of sense to think that a team is going to get better when two of the people that they're relying on are long into their career and the other one can't stay healthy. First round draft picks, man. The the capital that those command and how you see them spent. Trade Caruso, trade DeRozan, see if you can get something for Levine. And if somebody calls it, if the Dallas Mavericks want to call and ask about Vooch, there's been a couple places where there's he's under that deal, thinking he a little late career change of scenery, good fit, Western team might be just right for him. I'm open for business. Yep. I don't think they are, but I am. Let's see if they are. It'd be nice if they were, because this isn't going anywhere. When we come back, Mike Florio is going to talk to us about why people don't want head coaching jobs in the NFL and whatnot. Next on the score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. That isn't the time for an airing of grievances. Pro football talk. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. 
The NFL is the focus of the entire world, a world that has gone completely daft in regard to the way it talks about things tangential to this league. Man, oh man. So he is here, as always, on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois. You can follow him at Pro Football Talk, and he's on twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 to score. Hey, Mike. Hey, I... I noticed that the open got tweaked a little bit. It kind of threw me off. I'm a creature of habit. I'm used to my rhythm and my routine. All of a sudden, there were different words. There were different quotes. I I think that we had a little uh, Frank Costanza in there. I like that. Our production team is all about making the fresh sounds that our guests feel welcome. And you're always welcome here, sir. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you as always. And it's, it's an exciting time for the National Football League as we get closer and closer to the Super Bowl, even though it's all rigged and we all know the Chiefs are going to win because the NFL wants the Chiefs to win. So Taylor Swift can advance the PSYOP that will deliver the White House to the Democrats or some crap like that. You're on it. You are right on it. While she's also angering people for using her private plane because of the carbon footprint, and then they're not quite sure why they're supposed to be mad about the carbon footprint <laughs> because that gets back to man-made climate change, and then everybody's head explodes. So that's it's hard to are. clean up a carbon footprint when it gets on your rug. That's what. That's all I know. It's Mike, fifty degrees outside this yep. week, so you might be onto yeah. something, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Why did Ben Johnson not want the head coaching jobs that were still available? Well, that's a great question. Last year when he pulled his name out, the thought was he knew he wasn't getting any of the jobs. So let's go ahead and make it look like I'm the one stepping aside. This year, it's a little more confusing. And I'm fascinated by the ability. And I I want to preface this by saying there was once a time Adam Schefter and I were friends. We currently aren't. I'm just amazed that he can get away with stuff that others can't get away with. And I'm not saying he's going to get away with this. I'm pointing it out currently. Throwing out there the idea that Ben Johnson's asking price spooked teams with no further information, with no further context, with no opportunity for Johnson or his agent to respond to this suggestion seems irresponsible to me. And I would get dragged if I did it. But you put this out there to 10.7 million followers on X, and it's treated as gospel. Ben Johnson's unreasonable. Ben Johnson's unrealistic. Ben Johnson's too big for his britches. I want to know more about this. What was the number? Is it reasonable to be spooked by the amount that Ben Johnson supposedly wanted? Is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20 million? I don't know. And is it true? Or is it just face-saving by the commanders who had been linked so closely to Ben Johnson. He says, no, it still smells like Dan Snyder in here, or words to that effect, stays in Detroit, and now they make it about him, not about them. So that one tweet has a lot of curiosity that it sparks, and I feel like it's not something that you put out there without more, and at a minimum, without giving Johnson a chance to refute it, explain it, comment on it, confirm it, whatever. At what point does it get into tortious interference? Well, I don't know that it quite goes that far, but what it does, what it does is it feeds the narrative through which people will perceive Ben Johnson all year long and into next year. So he was hot candidate presumed to be destined to have a job this cycle. Now he goes back 
into the mix with everyone else? What if the Lions fall off this year? What if Bobby Sloth becomes the guy for 2025? because the Texans get better. C.J. Stroud improves on a great rookie season. And you've still got Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel hanging around. What if Johnson begins to sink, fueled by what could be, could be, we don't know, an unfair perception that he wants too much? I'm just uncomfortable with all of it. And I just think it's not proper. Not that I have any journalism training, but I've been doing it for 20-plus years now, and I've learned through trial and error, more error than trial, how to properly do this job. There are just certain third rails that you want to be careful about jumping on without giving people a chance to chime in. And putting something like that on a guy, I think is unfair without giving him a chance to respond to it. But that's my point is if it results in what tortious, yeah. tortious interference results in, then how is it not that? I think that it's a high bar to prove that there was some sort of deliberate attempt to interfere with future business possibilities. And let's face it, there's still a chance for Ben Johnson and his agent to try to put out there something else. Who back is his agent, December, Mike? Who, who Do you know who represents Rich, him? Richmond Flowers is his agent. Okay. And back in December, Josina Anderson had a more vague and incomplete version of what ultimately was put out there yesterday. Flowers jumped on it and said it was false. He hasn't said anything about what Schefter said yesterday. And I've tried to contact him via X because he follows our accounts so you can message him. I've tried to get him that way. He hasn't responded to me. I'm trying to give the guy the chance to do what, based upon Schefter's tweet, he didn't get a chance to do. Correct the record, confirm it, deny it, clarify it, whatever. But yeah, I, I so I think there's an obligation here at some point for Ben Johnson's agent to chime in, even if Schefter should have given him a chance to proactively i feel like when i'm listening to you like there's a real concern about the messaging that comes from those who are powerful you're now admittedly you're one of those voices inside of the the nfl sphere of influence but i i share some of that with you like we were talking about it today like maybe he did say maybe his price was ridiculous for your job you know for for the washington job maybe it wouldn't be for a job that he actually wanted and, and there's a lot of layers to this where it, I, I love Adam Schefter and I think that he serves a valuable purpose, but we've seen a lot of people, and he's not the only one, that have been doing like one source reporting that sometimes looks like it's doing the bidding of a team or an agent or whomever. Exactly. And that's what Schefter does. And I think the audience has evolved to the point where most people understand that there is a quid pro quo, that is a continuous treadmill of information exchange and from time to time, the reporter holding his nose and carrying the water so that he'll be the one to break the commander's coaching hire. And I fully expect he'll be the one to break the commander's coaching hire in exchange for putting it out there. And sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's implied. I'll give you a quick story. Once upon a time, there was an angle I continued to push that made one specific team uncomfortable. An executive high level from that team contacted me and said, can you just stop saying this thing that you're saying? If you do, I'll give you our next big scoop. And I thanked him for confirming my own suspicions about how the sausage gets made. I don't play that game and I suffer from it because I don't get to tell the world five minutes before the team announces it what they're going to do. And you pay attention. That's what Schefter does 99% of the time. 
He tells us what's going to be announced five minutes later. And some people say there's value in that. Fine. But that's what he does. And you have to get yourself in position to get that five-minute heads up. And if they're happy with you, they're going to give you the five-minute heads up. Is there anyone that's concerned now that the ESPN has gone full go on, on their betting service about what some of the relationships with their insiders could be and, and, and the danger that the, of the mixing of all of that stuff could be? I get the impression that whatever level of concern there is from the league, from ESPN, from anyone connected to any of this is, whatever level it is, it's not nearly enough. I don't get the impression the league fully appreciates all the ways that gambling can undermine the integrity of the game or the perception of the integrity of the game. And I think that ESPN is way too early in this full bore in bed with gambling. Everywhere you go, you see the ESPN bet billboards. I do here in West Virginia. The ads are everywhere. It's inextricably linked. Bet, 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 bet. And yes, there are certain wagers that are based not on what happens during a game. They're based on information that people have that become action, whether it's who gets drafted where, which quarterback signs with which team, which coach goes to which team. And that information can be used to the advantage of the person who has it. There's monetary value. And I just don't believe that people fully appreciate the risks associated with how that information could get misused for wagering purposes. Mike, what are we learning now about what the NFL in and it's possible they did some really awful things in promises that were made regarding the head injury settlement and allowing players to die on their watch. And now we're we're getting some of the testimony that has come out here. How bad is this? Well, the NFL is trying to strike a very delicate balance in the remaining litigation that traces back to the concussion settlement, which was first negotiated August of 2013. It was finalized years later. Players still today trying to get their share, rightfully so, of what they're qualified to receive. But the NFL is trying to get insurance money to pay for a substantial part, if not all, of that exposure the NFL eventually had. So to get the coverage, the NFL has to say, yeah, hey, look, football causes long-term brain trauma. And then on the other hand, you, you don't want to kill your sport by telling the world too loudly football causes long-term permanent brain trauma. And at the center of that is the commissioner who, who was inclined when pressed on this issue in July of 2022 in a deposition in this insurance coverage case to downplay it. Then Jeff Pash, the general counsel, comes in and, and tries to it. clean it up. And that's the problem. The NFL still has the potential for an existential threat to the game if it's too candid about the risks of head trauma. But the NFL would like to pick up a billion or so from its insurance companies for the money that it had to pay out. So it's a tough spot for the NFL. And the best move would be settle it and move on because the longer you try to strike that balance, the greater the chance you're going to fall off the wire. I'm glad you said what you said. I'm glad you phrased it specifically by saying football causes brain damage, not concussions, because that's been part of this delicate, exquisite dodge, blaming the issues on concussions, when in fact the science says it's the accumulation of the subconcussive hits that's far more dangerous. Absolutely. And, you know, 
they focus on all the things they're doing to make the game safer. It is still inherently risky. And even if you have the best helmet that money could ever buy and invent and devise, you still have guys who are moving full speed in one direction are suddenly stopped and their brand bounces off the inside of their skull. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's on the outside of it. It still happens on the inside. So it's something they're never going to get away from. They've been fortunate that you don't have a mass migration of highly talented players away from football. But that's, I think, the last frontier in court for them to have to worry about this. They want their money from the insurance companies. And don't get me started on what insurance companies do to not pay out claims. They, they'll take your money in. They don't want to pay the money out. But the other side of it is you have to admit, if you're the NFL, that football is a problem. And they don't want to admit that. Even to this day. 30 years after the creation of the Mild Traumatic Brain Injury Committee for the sole purpose of downplaying and delaying the reckoning, they still don't want to admit what we all know. On behalf of those of us with health insurance, keep speaking, Mike. I also want to ask you about the residual Bill Belichick discussion, especially when it's a lot of the time coming from teams who don't have head coach openings. What do you make of this? You know, I... I'd like to say I'm stunned by Jerry Jones speaking so candidly yesterday about potentially hiring Bill Belichick in the future, but there is nothing Jerry Jones can say at this point in his life that will stun me, especially as he gets deeper into his 80s and any remaining filter that he ever had disappears through the workings of biology on the human brain mouth connection. So he goes on and on yesterday about how great Belichick is, one of the great coaches of all time, and he'd have no qualms about working with him while he's got a coach. And we're just two weeks removed from widespread speculation that that coach was going to get thrown overboard for Bill Belichick. It's astounding to me. You couple that with, and it's not really reporting. It was rumor mill at the senior bowl that Greg Bedard of Boston sports journal shared with a radio station in Boston, 98.5, the sports buzz. And you know, this idea that the Eagles were eyeballing Belichick if things went sideways with Nick Sirianni. So now if Belichick doesn't get a job this cycle, you've got the Cowboys, you've got the Eagles, You've got possibly the Giants because he won a couple of Super Bowls as their defensive coordinator and things there aren't going great. If I'm the commanders and I just got, I don't want to say left at the altar by Ben Johnson, because again, we don't know what happened. But if I'm not getting the guy that everybody thought was my first choice, at what point do I say, well, the only way to keep from having to deal with Belichick in the future is to just bite the bullet and hire him now. Hmm. That's an interesting thing to think on. Um, Mike, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thanks. Have a great week. That's Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. Next up, Adam Hogue will get Bears specific with us. They're filling out some positional coaches and not all with their first choice. So we'll discuss next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Adam Hogg says, 
Adam Hogue. Bears beat writer for CHGO Sports. What's up, everyone? My name's Adam Hogue. This is the CHGO Bears podcast. We just need to kick Adam Hodge off the show and let him come back on Tuesday. Host of the Hogue and John's podcast. Mark Tressman's face just popped up on my computer, by the way. Adam Hogue. Adam Hoagie or Hogg? Excuse me, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. With Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on 670 The Score. Let's talk some Bears with Adam Hogue. He joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circus Sports Illinois. He is on Twitter at Adam Hogue and twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. What's happening? Hey, guys. How how is uh, everyone doing? We're doing great, man. What, What do you think of how the Bears have filled out their staff on the offensive side? Actually, on both sides of the ball now. What do you think of the hires that they've made? Yeah, I, I like the hires um, and, you know, can't pretend to know everything about all these guys, obviously, and we'll get to know them as they get in the building. But um, I do know enough about some of these guys. Uh, Thomas Brown has a connection to Wisconsin. He spent a year there and obviously, I, but, but more what I like is is the process here. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, these are sensible hires and qualified hires. So, when it comes to Shane Waldron at the top, one of the things I wanted, and I think all of us wanted, was, you know, somebody who had play calling experience. Okay, check that box. Um, doesn't change the overall offensive scheme too much. Obviously, there'll be tweaks. There's going to be small things like, does he like a true fullback or does he like more of that hybrid tight end that could do both? Track record in Seattle is that maybe they don't keep a guy like Kari blasting him around. So there's little intricacies like that that may be different. But overall, the scheme isn't a drastic change, so that helps too. Now you start talking about, okay, how is he filling out the staff? Well, Thomas Brown, who he was with in L.A. with Sean McVay, guy who interviewed for the O.C. job, already an O.C. job, uh, offense coordinator in the league, comes in, and now he's your passing game coordinator, okay? Now you add um, Morris, uh, Chad Morris. He's on the staff from Seattle same thing with the quarterbacks coach Kerry Joseph so these are guys that he knows well that he's bringing in here and Morris was a running game coordinator already in Seattle so I don't know if he's going to have that title here in Chicago or not but he has that experience so if you think about it and you zoom out you're like all right they just went from having Luke Getze who had never called plays in the NFL and Andrew Janoco, a quarterbacks coach who had only done that for one year in Minnesota to having a qualified OC with play calling experience, a run game coordinator uh, or possibly a run game coordinator, but somebody who's been a running game coordinator, uh, established OC who's gotten head coaching interviews in the past and Thomas Brown, who's your passing game coordinator. And we haven't even gotten to the quarterbacks coach yet who does have ties uh, to the OC from the last place he came. So it all makes a lot more sense to me and the experience level, you got to like it. Now, if there's one thing that you want to push back on, too many cooks in the kitchen. This is something we went through with Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy went from really not having a, a qualified OC to then all of a sudden bringing in all these guys. And, and John DeFilippo. Really remember how excited we were about John DeFilippo? Yep, and Bill Lazor and all that. Now, the one caveat there that I think is huge, it's a big difference, is those were still guys he didn't necessarily know well. They weren't necessarily guys that they had a coaching history together. They were still kind of blending all these philosophies and they didn't really have an identity. This seems like a coaching staff that knows exactly what their identity is going to be. They're all on the same page in terms of their experience, the offenses they've worked in. Um, And so I do think it should work different, but I also think it's fair to 
play devil's advocate for a minute and be like, wait a minute, there are some similarities here between what the last coaching staff had to do when they changed after a, a couple years. I do think, though, that in this case, like Matt Nagy, when there was a big coaching staff turnover, the discussion was he hired a lot of yes men. Like he got rid of the people who disagreed with him. And that was something that was widely discussed. And I feel like in this case, it is the experience piece and also just trying to fill the needs they have. What do you think on the defensive side about Eric Washington? We hadn't talked to you since it happened. Yeah, big, big fan of this hire um, because, and I was wondering, you know, I thought, I thought Flus tipped his hand a little bit in that he didn't just promote somebody mid-season. That seemed to be like, uh, you know, something that would have made a lot of sense. John Hoke, who's, you know, has a ton of experience in the league, seemed like somebody who could have stepped into that D.C. role mid-season. He already was the passing game coordinator on the defensive side. But the fact that Flus didn't do that told me that he was going to try to hire somebody from the outside. Because if you promote somebody in mid-season, it's kind of hard to take away that title without, you know, that coach moving on in the offseason. So, you know, Eric Washington, this guy, again, we're talking about somebody with experience. Um, You're threading a needle here between finding somebody with experience, but also somebody that didn't necessarily demand that they had to call plays, which I think is if you're hiring Chris Harris from Tennessee – um, that's somebody that I think you would have had to relinquish play calling duties to, to get him to come. And I don't think that that would have been a good idea based on what we saw from Matt Eberflus. So not only do you get a qualified coach who, who's, you know, got a ton of experience in this defense that they've run, but also has been in the building before as a coach and on Lovey Smith's staff back in 2010. On top of that, what I also love is he goes and gets different experience under Sean McDermott, too, in a winning organization. So this one really checked off a lot of boxes for me. And perhaps most importantly, he's also a defensive line coach. And if you look at that defense right now and where they still need to take a huge step forward, getting somebody like Eric Washington to work with Jervon Dexter could be huge this offseason. Um, and our colleague here at CHGO, Corey Wooten, uh, I would encourage people to go listen to what he had to say on our emergency podcast on this over the weekend because he played for Washington both at Northwestern and then a few years later when he got drafted by the Bears. Um, and he had some just some really good real-life examples of what he did for Corey Wooten um, to make him a better football player. Hoger, I wanted to run something by you that I've been asking all of our people who are around the Bears. Is it possible, and do you think, that the play-calling element for – Matt Eberflus went beyond him being able to show off his skills as a play play a play caller, but also allowed him to connect with the players in a way that maybe he hadn't done in the first year of being head coach. You know, it's possible. Um, and, and I think that there were hints of him even admitting that in his end of season press conference too. I don't have any problem with the way he, came in and tried to be that true CEO type coach in year one. Um, I think that's actually what this organization needed in that moment. And I think that that probably put him in a good position to, you know, understand both the offense, understand the defense, but 
you know, to his own admission, he's talked about, you know, he wasn't necessarily in the weeds in those defensive meetings. He was spending a lot of time in the offensive meetings. He was spending a lot of time with Justin Fields. Um, and so this sort of forced his hand very suddenly in week two to get back to, you know, his true roots of being in that defensive room more, connecting with those players. Um, and so I think there's some truth to that. And, you know, I think he showed that he's a, he could be a pretty good defensive play caller. It wasn't perfect. I mean, obviously the, the third down call in Cleveland late in the year was bad. And we had players, we heard from players openly questioning it after the game. But the fact that that didn't turn into like uh, a thing, you know, it seems like the dialogue between him and the defensive players is pretty strong and that they can, they can be critical of each other and take it and learn from it. I think that's a, a strong quality in a coach. And so, you know, I think there's definitely still some questions about Matt Eberflus, the head coach, but I, there's very few things I didn't like about Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator last year. Do you think that the Bears are going to tag Jalen Johnson if for no other reason to buy a little bit of time and or to artificially spur negotiations on a long-term deal? Yeah, um, I think that at a minimum, that's 100% where this is headed. Um, with the the one caveat being that if the Bears just come in and they're like, hey, look, man, this guy proved it. Let's let's make him the highest paid corner. Let's just get this thing done and move on. Um, then maybe a deal gets done faster than that. Uh, Jalen Johnson certainly helped himself. You can just hear in his hits on on six seven the score how you know that all you know even his mindset. He went from saying around the trade deadline, I'm not asking to be the highest paid corner in the league to Oh, now all of a sudden I got my hands on the football a lot, got those interceptions, proved all those things I didn't, uh, you know, hadn't proven to that point. And now why, why can't I be the highest paid guy? Now there is one very, very important um, aspect to this that does need to be addressed and maybe will be the one hang up if this does head to a franchise tag and they don't come to an agreement and maybe he doesn't end up being the highest paid corner. And that's this shoulder issue, which was already a thing before he re-injured it late in the year because that was always on the college scouting report and has been something that hasn't necessarily been a major issue. I think overall he's been a durable player in the NFL, but when he has had issues pop up with, you know, availability, it's these shoulders that, that still tend to, to, to be somewhat of an issue. And so if the bears are going to sit there and say, Hey, look, you know, we still have this, it popped up again late in the year. We need to, you know, be careful. That could be the one hang-up still. But otherwise, I think Jalen Johnson earned his money, and I think the Bears agree that Jalen Johnson earned his money. I asked this to Brad Spielberger, and I'll ask this to you as well. Do you think that because there is a new offensive coordinator, regardless of the fact that there are years on existing contracts, that the Bears could get a new center? Um. Yeah. Yeah, no, I – and, well, Lucas Patrick is a free agent anyway. Um, I, I think Cody Whitehair is out the door. Um, you know, I I, 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 I I expect him to have a new center next year. I think that that's a no-brainer. I've been watching a lot of the Senior Bowl stuff this week. Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. Um, the, the only problem with him right now is he's too good. You know, he might go, he might go middle to late first round at this point. And uh, unless the Bears trade back, you know, kind of farther back into that range or they get more for a Justin Fields trade than maybe they think right now and they end up with a later first round pick instead of an early second. Um, I don't know that he's going to be reachable, but 
I, I personally, and I've brought up this comp, like there was years before they drafted Eddie Jackson where I was screaming on Hogan Johns like every year it seemed like. They need to draft a safety. Fix the safety position because it really hadn't been solidified since like Mike Brown. There was a huge gap in there where they were bringing in um, – who was that one guy? Merriweather, right, who was just like um, getting fined every single Brandon week. Brandon Merriweather, um, yes. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, like how, how many years did we go through stuff like that? And it was like just draft a safety, find one of these guys. That's how I feel with the center position right now. Like, okay, maybe it's not as important as offensive tackle on your list of, of positions, but at some point you need to address it. Um, and I, it's it's towards the top of my list of needs for the Bears this offseason. Tell Nicholas to find one while he's down there. Yeah. Well, you know, based on his feet, he's he's definitely in love with this with the Oregon Center I just mentioned. Um, the they West Virginia guy, he he's gonna that I, I agree with you. I think he's gonna end up being in in the teens before it's all said and done. Yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, he's and, – and what's interesting about him is he's only a one-year guy at center, um, but he just dominated all year. He's been dominating these practices. Now, I think it's Zach Frazier, the kid out of West Virginia. He's interesting too, but he tore his ACL late in the year. So I, I think he's going to be ended up being a good player. That might be some value you get, but by getting him later because of that knee injury, but then, you know, is he actually going to be ready to play this year? You don't really know the answers to that right now. Yeah, I just I just need a new center. And I don't know if it's going to come through free agency or if it's yes. if it's going to Speak come through Speak it into draft. existence. But it just I know they love positional flexibility at all, but I need I need positional dedication here. I think that makes yeah, a lot I, of sense. It makes too much sense, which is probably why I'm so sad <laughs> talking about it. Hoger, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for being on the show. All right, guys. Yeah, sorry I missed you last week. I was very, very sick. I'm feeling better. Uh, I missed you, and um, hope everyone has a great week. We you feel too. better thanks to you, Adam. It's nice to talk to you. That's also, Adam Hogue. Hey, tell the guys that uh, that that Senior Bowl is a gateway drug. That's how we got a backup quarterback. Okay. Oh, for now. You think they? You think this new regime is as enamored with? The backup quarterback. That I mean, that's how it happened. Luke Getzey, Senior Bowl, Mr. Yes. Mr. Bajent, and also Tyson. And now Luke Getzey is looking for a job elsewhere. He keyed, what was the term? Keyed Justin Fields to improvement? Yeah, he, he was the reason for Justin Fields' late season improvement, which if that were the case, then both yeah, guys would, improved. would probably be bears going forward, but... It looks like it, we know that one of them won't, and it looks like the other one won't either. But keyed, That's keyed, fine. yeah, keyed is a good term. If if For Justin Fields was the Ferrari, right. he sure keyed it the hell out. Yeah, he did. Drag. We've got key. high noon. We come back. I have a terrifying story with a happy enough ending. I have what it could sound like if Taylor Swift joined Usher. I have a what could be a happy start, but a terrifying ending. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon?
I say this at this time every Wednesday. This is the peak of your work week. It's all downhill from here. We began by discussing this phenomenon of the hot young coordinators deciding they like being hot young coordinators. Bleep your job. And they don't have to hurry out of being hot young coordinators, and they like doing what they're doing, and that's cool. We looked at the the accelerating plans for the White Sox building at the 78. And as long as I'm not contributing to it, I'm happy for it. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. But it doesn't mean we're not going to pay attention to your crappy baseball team and how crappy your baseball team is. And uh, your basketball team is not much better. We discussed the Bulls' lazy, stupid, sad performance last night. What's going on with Dylan C's? Not a thing. Yep. Um, Sound effect is the right answer. Our guy Speegs suggested over the last couple of days that Usher should call Taylor Swift and ask if she wants to be a part of the halftime show, which would be a great gesture, but she's also flying back from Tokyo if she is even coming to the game, which I imagine she is, but that's a lot to ask as far as Super Bowl performances goes. But if it were to happen, I bet it would sound a little bit like this. Like eight foot four, blonde hair to the floor. You shorties never thought I dreamed about rapping hardcore. No, I ain't got a gun. No, I never really been in a club. Still live with my parents, but I'm still a thug. I'm so gangster. You can find me baking cookies at night. You out clubbing, but I just made Carol's a life. T-Swift and T-Pay rapping on the same track. It's a thug story. Tell me, can you handle that? I don't know. Can you handle it? How old is that? It's a, it's a it's a a little old, but we went back into the archives. That's my might be what it sounds like. That is a gem of a find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's T Pain on that track? Do we have that part of it? I'm sure it's out there, but I didn't bring that part in. I didn't want to scare studs. <laughs> he was already scared from the Taylor Swift stuff. Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> I don't what. Cookies? It's cookies, you say? Car- caramel delights, terrifying. Yep, gangster. But that's what it could sound like. Staying with the music theme, I would like to go next. California storage unit buyers come across belongings that may have ties to MC Hammer and others. And you know what that means. Death Row Records. A couple of Northern California TikTok users posted that they bought a storage unit locker, which you can do if, if it's been left un, unattended to for a while. There's whole shows on that. Mm-hmm. Right. You can find the head of Benjamin Raspberry. So here's how they knew it. By, it might be MC Hammer. The first item mentioned. What do you think the first item mentioned is in a storage unit you think might belong to MC Hammer? Pants. E- something gold. Parachute pants. Yeah. The storage unit had parachute pants. A couple of fur coats, a Mac computer, and over <laughs> and over thirty master tapes labeled Death Row Records. Ooh. MC Hammer, DJ Quick, and Snoop. What? That's this a find. is a gold mine. Yes, it is. What was this doing in some random storage unit? Wait till somebody buys Grobstein's. We see we read the same story that well, Conurco wanted to buy the Lee Ilya tape, right? That's true, but somebody's going to find one of these, and it's going to be all 1980s media guides. But they don't necessarily the dinner rolls. They don't necessarily believe it's it's actually Authentic? his. Yes. So 
The quote is, until I actually hear from MC Hammer himself or Snoop Dogg, I don't believe it. People claim to be managers, but all we have is the documentation, the tapes, and people are contacting me claiming to be affiliated with them. So obviously something's going on. I think you want to be very careful with the word affiliate. And when mm -hmm. it comes to death row records. Yeah, yes. and if, if they're death row affiliated, they're not going to ask for it. They're just going to take get it. it. <laughs> they're going to clear their property wherever it is. I understand that there's a certain cachet to hiding in plain sight. But this just seems a little too plain to not maintain it. Well, there could have also been where Hammer did go through some pretty interesting money problems and maybe oh, some they, complicated bankruptcies yeah too, right? so maybe yeah. there there was some stockpiling of stuff which also had our picture on it yeah <laughs> also when when Wait, when what? hammer went bankrupt they also just put up a picture of the Bernstein and Holmes show Bernstein and Holmes picture on the parachute pants in this storage facility yep. what's going on yep. all right oh I know what you guys are referring to. Yeah, that was really messed up. I mean, somebody's got to be the picture. Right, what are you doing? But like, why, why not, was it you two? Why not just the logo of the company right. that's actually that's Put a actually on it. in the conundrum? A giant national company. It's like, well, here's here's old here's, Bernstein at home. Bringing the company down. Why did you guys look so happy about yeah, it? Our numbers are great. Life's pretty good. Like you're sitting in this like really nice studio that's also relative. If they weren't new. spending so much money on Bernstein and Holmes, <laughs> they might be able to pay off their senior bonds. Scrooge McDuck just diving into his money. <laughs> Stupid. That's what it is. Is that the second DuckTales reference of the day? A woman fell into a dumpster while throwing out her garbage and was later rescued from a trash truck that had compacted the contents while she was inside. This is this is terrifying to me. Those vestibules and the dumpsters, man. That is that is a fear. According to fire department officials in Manchester, New Hampshire, luckily neighbors heard her screams. And the trash compartment was equipped with a camera. Oh. The driver spotted the woman stuck inside and called 911. By then, the driver had reportedly compacted the garbage up to four times. <gasps> How did she have any oxygen? I don't know that it's wow. airtight, but it's it, this is this is like the scene in Star Wars. Rescuers used a basket ladder to reach the top of the truck and lift her out. By then, she was standing, talking, and yelling, but was not alert enough to answer questions. The woman was taken to a hospital after Monday's misadventure. Her name was not released, and Battalion Chief Bob Baudet told WMUR-TV, In 32 years, I've never seen anything like this in my whole career. It's alarming because you don't really think it's true. Indeed, she, she fell into a dumpster, she was thrown into a garbage truck, and the garbage was compacted with her. It, and if it had been later in their run, she'd be dead. Yes. Oh, God, that's so disturbing. But she's okay enough. Nope, that is. Well, yeah. She's not dead. I mean, she's. That is a fear of mine. Like the Falling into a garbage truck? Well, more so the open, you know, just holes in the street for trash that they have, like in, say, New York or something. Yeah, that's terrifying. That All of that is. Possible. 
It's too possible still is what you're saying? Yep. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm reinforcing these anxieties with the story that did I mean, happen. I don't know how much of a daily anxiety it is. It's just knowing that it's a possibility and a likely one. Odd speaking is not great. So I guess I should mention like the bouncy vents right next to NBC Tower underneath there that make you feel like you're going to fall through them. Yeah, I don't go to those. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, but I do actively wear like stiletto heels and walk across uh, like the vents that the go grates? over the subway. Yeah. I worry more the about key- dropping my keys through one than falling through one. No, the secret is to keep the weight in your toes. And as far as your keys are concerned, just have something on your keychain like hand sanitizer that prevents it from falling all the way through. Then you've got your hand sanitizer and your keys all in one place. That, see, that's that's the one thing that I always argue with my wife about because she has one of she has her keys on a keychain and dog, we heard you like keychains, so we put a keychain on your keychain, and there's all this extra stuff on there. Flare. No, it's because in a big bag. Extra flare. The, the reason it's is in a, in, when you're when you're sort of rooting around in a big bag. They're easier to find. Yeah, for there's those always an keep, excuse for the flare, but the, it's still flare. But for those of us who keep it in our front pocket, I'm always if I take her car, I take all the extra stuff off. Because I don't want all that stuff in my pocket. Right. The flare. It messes not, up the lining of your pants. It's a hundred percent flare. She says it's not. She says it's the pra- it's practical because it helps her find her keys easier in her bag. There's it, it, an it, entire it has, influencer culture related for stuff for your stuff for your stuff. Yes. Have you seen the fanny pack for the Stanley Cup? What the hell is that? It's flair. Woo! You said it. Woo! Yar. Yar indeed. Yep. No, no that's happening. Misplaced yar in 2024. More of it. Support more in 24 and misplaced yar in 2024. Next up, you got a scoop for us. NBC had the scoop, but it might not be the scoop you think it is until the end. Fair Stadium. That part two. Fortunately, most of the issues that I deal with now, I've dealt with before. And anytime you build a stadium project, you have to make sure you explore all of your options. So it wasn't necessarily that big of a pivot. Even before I accepted the job here, I was always looking for what are the, the places that would fit uh, what, what would what would our, our fans embrace? So it wasn't uh, too much of a pivot. We just make sure we have to keep our options open. That's Kevin Warren, obviously talking about what he was hired to do for the Bears, and that's figure out the Bears' new stadium. We've talked a lot about the White Sox stadium discussion, where I feel like we've heard more concrete pieces of that recently than we have the Bears. Let's just illustrate that. I think part of the reason is because of the importance of the order here. Warren got hired after they already said Arlington Heights is their sole focus. That's important. Which was a mistake. Right. And so Warren is having to deal with this because, as we know, you want municipalities to fight for your public good. Therefore, you get a better tax deal. That's why Jerry Reinsdorf is working on tax deals. And you see the flirtation that's going on with Kevin Warren, the friendship that's budded between he and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. He's always kind of putting, hey, you know, city's great and we love downtown. Where they're already a current tenant and that relationship needed to be repaired anyway. Well, and it needed to be changed. Like That's the thing that keeps me from feeling like the Bears, the, the Bears are going to do something because I, I just don't think that the money is going to be there to build 
what they would want to build in Chicago, what they would need to build. And the whole there were there were two real points to this from the Bears' perspective. They get to own the property, and it allows for them to get other stuff into a building that Soldier Field cannot accommodate. It was also about a sports book. Period. Paragraph. There's a reason you see what you see at Wrigley. It was also very much about a sports book. It's important for the Bears to have a good relationship with the city and vice versa, especially while they're there right now. But the issue, as we know, has always been about the Arlington Heights site and why you're hearing all of these other cities talk about how they want the Bears is because of the Cook County assessment of taxes. And it has been varied as to whether or not the number will get bigger or smaller. And the entities that are protesting on behalf of Arlington Heights and Cook County are the school districts. So this report came from NBC5 yesterday. It aired in the 5 o'clock show. In case you missed it, Alex Marigo is talking about the latest work our investigative team has done regarding the stadium. Nearly a year after buying more than 300 acres that housed the former Arlington Racecourse, the Chicago Bears are still fighting Cook County over their property taxes. Owning real estate, property tax is your largest expense. Samantha Steele is one of three Cook County Board of Review commissioners. She heard the team's arguments today during a hearing over that dispute. At issue is the value of the property. The Bears bought it in February of 2023 for $197 million. The Cook County Assessor's Office increased its value to that sales price, which would spike the team's tax bill roughly fivefold. But the Bears now say the property is worth $60 million. The surrounding school districts that rely on those taxes for their funding say it's worth closer to the purchase price, $160 million. That leaves the two sides about $100 million apart. They want to ensure that they're not paying more than their fair share. Um, and then the interveners, which is the school district, want to make sure that they're, you know, they're paying their fair share. The team has long said it needs property tax certainty to put shovels in the ground in Arlington Heights, hoping to build a multi-billion dollar stadium district with restaurants, stores, residential real estate and more. Negotiations between the team and the school districts are ongoing, but the clock is ticking. If they don't come to an agreement, the board will make a decision uh, probably close to the end of February. I'm Alex Maragos for NBC5 Investigates. There it is. We might have an answer to all of this at the end of the following month. Does that mean comes tomorrow? Congratulations, you survived January. Th- then we can start looking at the IAA corridor by the top golf. I'm very intrigued by this. You've talked about it so much that I'm actually interested to see what's out there. I think that we should go, but Dan won't. I like golf. I'm bad at it. And we'll just go without him. What, to the top golf? Yeah. I would go. They have we, apps and We stuff. asked you to go, and you were like, I don't want to go. It depends when. Anyway, the four of us will go, and we'll go, and then we can go check out the corridor. I have loved, like, just silliness loving me has loved all of the places people want to tear down to build the bear stadium dan, <laughs> like it says a lot more about the things you don't want dan wants to go so that he could go look for a gun in the parking lot <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's where you find him apparently yes you just go walking around it's hey, like look at that good i got one now i, just, I think you can do that in the garage here too apparently you just go i'm just open super up cars and see what's in there right? i'm just super, i think they call that a crime technically oh, yes. oh, i'm super crime. but i'm super entertained by all the things people want to tear down <laughs> like that's been that's been one of my favorite 
like listener response mechanisms is hearing about all the places they don't want. <laughs> it's a nice, it's like a nice geography lesson, really, for somebody who's new to the city. And and you're hearing from all different municipalities, even the state of Indiana is trying to lobby to to get the Bears to come to the region and all of that stuff. I'm hoping that we do get some clarity on it. I still, I stand by my theory that has no reporting behind it, that Kevin Warren got that 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 whole thing when he walked in. He's like, oh, Greta, you're not going to believe this, but uh, they've already bought a parcel of land to build this thing on. And they've already said that that's where they're going to build. This is ridiculous. And now they're going to gouge us for property taxes. Right. <laughs> and why didn't they wait to get the bidding war before they bought the land? You mean to tell me that somebody didn't know about due diligence? And leverage. Yeah, the timing of proper leverage. But I, I do think that this is, I stand by what I've been saying the entire time. That all this other stuff is mostly noise. It's the the signal has been that they are going to control their destiny on the land that they own, and all of this is just trying to get it at the most favorable possible terms. But that's it, and and just like we discussed earlier, when it comes to either tax evaluation for a property you may own or someone else, every little bit helps, right? Or if you're trying to build a futuristic stadium on a lot of land, you have to do everything you possibly can to get to the lowest number. And that's that's the process here. But what we now know is there's a timeline and that's going to make all of this make more sense. You're right. What Mm -hmm. you said, like as we were coming into the studio where it's a small news item, but one that carries a lot of weight because it, it leads us to what the bigger story is that. Oh, okay. At the end of February, we'll have an idea of what happens next. I tend to agree with Dan that it's probably going to be Arlington Heights. I still think, though, that even like that, what happens at the end of the month will allow for other other municipalities to go, but no, 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 no. You really want to be here right by the top golf of the I-88 corridor or you, you want to move to northwest Indiana or where you could go to Bedford Park because of the infrastructure of the water supply. Hey, man. Is Planet Park still an option? No. Planet Park was, was hilariously bad. See, I learned a lot about the the geography of our, our Chicagoland area and history thanks to all of these failed Bears proposals. There are many people in the Chicago Southland that believe that the stadium should be built there. What about the airport in Piatone? That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like the folks that are down there think it should go there. Some texter wants to tear down Gurney Mills. See, this is my favorite part where people just say what they want to tear you down. You know what this is? This, this is a corollary of when there's like a lineup change at the station and the next week is just people saying who they want fired or who they want. It, it's it's always like, well, what about I don't like this and do this because that would make me happier. This is just the latest version of that. Like, well, if we're talking about this, I'll tell you what, there's a building near me that's fallen down and fell with rats and they should condemn that thing. Why don't they build it? Yes, but people own those buildings. Why don't they put it right where that that nothing ever works? That corner on Lincoln, like right when you get off of North Avenue, that corner where no restaurant 
ever, ever works. Bears <laughs> Stadium. Stadium there. Wait, which haunted? Which haunted location are we talking about? So, like, if you're going off of Lakeshore Drive, okay, and you get off on North and LaSalle, yeah. and then you turn on to Lincoln, and before, before, oh, by you, Wisconsin, yeah, like, oh yeah, 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 where there's been a million. They, no, nothing it, survives. It there. should work. No, no. but nothing I'll, ever works. The, Just put the Bears Stadium there. Oh, Beth and I talk about this all the time. The other one is when you get off at Diversity and like the the Diversity California exit, and you go toward you go east on Diversity, <laughs> and there's that brewery that's on the south side. Yes, and then there's a haunted location on the left side. It has been like a. A, a, a New Haven pizza place. It's been some yes. sort of weird, like, vegan Ecuadorian place. I don't know what it is now, but anything that goes in there goes to die. I like See, the text that it somebody says. Somebody says their ex's house. You knew an ex was going to get their house torn down for the Bears Stadium. I like the person that says tear down Lake Michigan. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Was that iRobot? What? what? I what think do you that, mean? What was, that was the Will Smith movie, wasn't it? Not iRobot. Not iRobot. I, no, what was the one where he was fighting robots? Yeah, it was iRobot. In iRobot, there's no more Lake Michigan. Right, yeah, dried up. The hell? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where, that's the scene where he emerges by the bridge that is foreseen. Yeah. Spoiler alert. And, and when, when he's on the motorcycle, it's just uh, containers. Okay, so dry so, Lake Michigan so is the site of the So there we go. The Put the bears, bears there. <laughs> My my buddy JJ Stankovitz will will appreciate this football boat. Let's just get a boat and let's put the Bear Stadium on a boat. Permission to be ridiculous here. Sure. What's going on with reality shows and islands? Why is everything on an island because now? Because maritime can't get off. But like Deal or No, no. Deal Island, and right, then there's it's like Agatha Christie. Isn't Survivor it? is obviously an island, but then there was Fight Island for a while. Aren't Bachelor it's, shows on you know, islands fight, now? Fight island, I don't watch The Bachelor. You know, I don't know. Why. Fight Island like, was because there were no rule. Like you were going to another country during COVID. This is the most conspicuous no, consumption you, crap I've ever no, heard. You You're going to destroy an island for a reality it's, show? It's the sense of isolation. It's the idea of, of the relationship. No one can hear Go you on a scream. boat. Same, Football same boat. kind of thing. Football but, boat. So that's it. It's like the basketball game they had in the aircraft that's what, carrier. Now you're talking. This is what I've been trying to explain to JJ and the folks over at NBC Sports Chicago for years. <laughs> the, there should be a football boat. That if we're going to play basketball in an aircraft carrier, why can't we play a football game on one? The aircraft carrier is probably big enough, honestly. All right, so there it is. Studs and I agree. I don't know the how Bears many spectators should... you could get on it, but you could get a football field on an uh, aircraft carrier. Well, Dan's always like, oh, you should only watch football on TV anyway. Spectators are overrated. This game is going to do numbers, man. Every week, the Bears are going to do numbers on their football boat. I just want to know why Deal or No Deal is on an island. Because of Agatha Christie, because of, and then there were none, evil under the sun, the idea of this isolated place that sort of has its own rules. Isn't where, Joe Manganiello now isn't the host of Isn't that just Outback it? Steakhouse? Isn't, isn't that what he's doing now? There's no rules. It's just right. <laughs> no. It, it's it's right. Yes. It's the yes, concept, it is, yes, of, it's the right concept of isolation. And it's the idea of, well, you're, or like even the movie The Menu is all, they, they go to the mysterious island. It's a plot device. It makes it so it's exotic and isolated and you can't get away. And there's the implication of danger. Yes. It's an always sunny thing. It's the implication. There's no real danger, but the implication. Everything goes back to always sunny. I mean, let's just call that what it is.
Uh, I would also like to take this time to point out to those who question why you want to include more fans into your NFL game is because business success in the United States is predicated on growth. And so if you can grow your business with a new audience, say fans of Taylor Swift who are now interested in football because they are interested in Taylor Swift, that the NFL is going to want to do more for those fans because the ones who watch it every Sunday, even though they complain about They're it. They're not they going anywhere. Say they want to watch or listen to something else, and yet they never do. They're there every day. They don't care as much about them because they've decided to chain themselves to that product without doing anything. So I'm just going to throw that out there while we're while we're discussing all of this. Yeah. Th- but that's- on an island. But but that's and that's why the NFL is like, oh, we're gonna play games in Spain. In Portugal. If they played a game in Portugal, I would go. Portugal looks like Are, Southern California. What about I, in space? In space. That is only for Fast and the Furious eleven D. Aren't the Bears going to Madrid? Isn't that aren't they on the list? They're going to London again. I think we're back to London. Oh. I want to go this time. I couldn't go last time. Because the Cubs might make the playoffs, and then they didn't. Madrid would be awesome. I haven't been there in forever. It's so great. So are we keeping these locations, London and Madrid, or are we also tearing them down for the Bears Stadium? We can tear them down, too. But Portugal, you like? You like the idea? Why did you say it looks like Southern California? Yeah. I know a lot of people who that's their retirement plan. Or Portugal? If the election goes wrong, plan. One of Jason's friends did his first semester of college in Lisbon. And he came back with a big scar on his forehead. From fights? Yeah. It's like, what happened? He's like, got in a bar fight in Lisbon. Ate too much. I, like I initially when I, 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 fell on no, his floor. No, and I heard it. I thought he said he got in a bar fight with a lesbian. And like, what? And he goes, no, in Lisbon. Like, oh. It could have also <laughs> been with a lesbian. It could have been. And I also, among his friends, I would have said he would, I would have voted him most likely to be scarred in a bar fight in Lisbon. So the moral of the story is, at the end of next month, we might have an answer about the Bears Stadium. But until then... Please mythically destroy any entity you would like to build your own personal stadium or find an island. Why don't we just build it in this big empty pit across the street? Right. See? Yeah, the not right dead So many places. Yeah, we call it Not Dead Guy Stadium. But, yes. But then. Not Dead Guy Stadium. <laughs> not Dead Guy Memorial Stadium. stadium. <laughs> Even though it's not a memorial because he's not dead. <laughs> but then what would happen with Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Chicago Accounting, and all those that, were, that use this as their primary outdoor staging area? You, you know where I saw them at the, the other day? They were over in the South Lots. <sighs> Tailgating? No. Creating it into an island? The, well, maybe, Well, there is an island over there. That's the new one, Chicago Forensic Accounting. Oh, there that's, isn't. That's really there me. is. Yeah. So when, I, when I'm when at a Northern bar, I don't want to right tell there. people what I want to do. And they're like, what do you do? And I used to always say, when I worked for Comcast Sportsnet, I work for Comcast. And they're like, oh, yeah, what do you do? And you just want to have a conversation and not want it to be about the Bears? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I work I'm in a accounting. college professor. I would always happens. say I worked in billing at Comcast. Oh, that's great. That's kind of true. I just go, college professor. You could do what Terry used to do. He would just introduce himself as Tom Share. <laughs> how about how about they just or, <laughs> or, or or Savage. Or somebody would say, Are you Terry Bores? And he'd say, No, I'm Edward Dickman.
And that was it. And, and if, but if you introduced yourself to him and referred to him as Edward Dickman, then he would he would hang out with you and, and talk sports with you. I've got it. Terry in front of the Cook County Tass- Tax Assessors Board pitching not dead guy Memorial Stadium, <laughs> but on an island. <laughs> okay. I say that we take the Bear Stadium and put it in Bourbon A. They owe those people. So there. the water, Does the water tower still say summer home of the bears? If it does, it's really sad. Former summer home of the bears. <laughs> they just put that thing. Maybe they haven't written like that. The guy who has that, that heavy equipment thing on the other side of 57 with a giant Abraham Lincoln yeah, that holding holds sign. up the MAGA yeah. talking points. Yeah, I like the ones that have the truck on the on the pole. You know, like the semi-engine that's like on the... Yes, yes. Those are really cool to me. Yeah, but this Tex Novo, he's, he's big yeah, but down th- I don't know what it was. It was always Abraham Lincoln holding up a sign that says, like, destroy all Mexicans or something that's like that. That's not what the hey, sign hey, said. Hey, I'm telling hey. you, those signs are... I was, I was like, oh... i sure Lincoln was I, against that I, Of stuff. course he was. Well, that's the irony. But I would always... Well, I, I always knew I was back in Bourbon A when I was... Are you sure I was about welcomed that? by a giant MAGA Abe Lincoln. put his money where his mouth was. Kind of. But yeah, everybody's questionable. Everybody's questionable, sure. Kind of. Kendall Gill is going to yeah. join us next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Fourth quarter is money time and it's tomorrow time. Well, you get in that situation and it's happened so many times since tomorrow's been here. Tomorrow's going to bail us out, but you can't bail. You can't you can't bank on that all the time. The other guys have to step up too. Now he hit that shot, but other guys have got to make some cut. Vooch has got to pick up his game here. Pick up his game everywhere. Got to play better. That was a bad loss by the Bulls last night. They were sloppy. They were lazy. They were dumb, and they got beat at home by a team that they should have absolutely waxed. So we'll talk about that and more with somebody who talks about the Bulls for a living, Kendall Gill. He is on Twitter at KendallG13, the 15-year NBA veteran and NBC Sports Chicago Bulls analyst is with us on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois and Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. KG, what's up? Nothing much. How you guys doing? We'd be better if the Bulls had a field goal sometime after the 7-11 mark of the game last night in the fourth quarter, Kendall. The offense, you said it last night, that's a position where they miss Zach Levine. Exactly. I mean, that's that's why you do not trade guys like Zach Levine, okay? Uh, you know, I know people have been saying, well, you know, let's move on. Uh, let's, let's, you know, break this thing up and try this stuff because the group that, that we currently have, they have not performed well. Well, guess what? We, we really haven't seen them together, uh, I believe, uh, enough to, to make that decision. I mean, I know we went oh to the Oh, my God, plane. they're 100 years old. Of course we've seen them enough. No, we have not. No, we We're have gonna not. We're not going to win anything. What, what is this, what, where is this group going to max out? Well, you know what? you got to keep these guys together for a couple of years, at least going to the playoffs to see what they're going to do. Okay? We were in the play-in last year, yeah. Okay, but uh, and, you know, a big reason for us not succeeding well is because of the Lonzo Ball injury. Okay, because when Lonzo Ball was here, uh, we were first in the Eastern Conference up until uh, through the All-Star break. But now Kobe White 
has assumed the reins, a reins to the point guard position. Now I believe that we have to go through at least one playoff series with this team and with Kobe White at the helm of the point guard position to really see what we can do. You know they're All, not winning it. This is this build's never winning a title. No, 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 no. Look, look, man. I, I know basketball. I, okay? I know. So you know this build is not winning a title. No, no I've been, I've, I've been, I've been in the in the NBA. I played for 15 seasons. Okay, I played for the Charlotte Hornets when they had myself, Larry Johnson. Alonzo Mourning, Dale Curry. You break when you broke that core up, then that was basically the end of the Charlotte Hornets in the, in the '90s for that for the runs that that we had. Well, what was the farthest but, that team got? We went to the second round in the playoffs. Okay, my year. okay. So that's why you got to keep this team together. Now, I believe you keep them together for one more playoff run just to see what can happen. Also, too, I don't believe you can get equal value for Zach Levine at the trade deadline right now. Okay, because everybody knows you're a seller. So they're not going to pony up anything for Zach Levine right now. All right. So that's why I keep this team together, uh, at least for one more playoff run. Now, after that, then maybe I might be open for business, but not right now. But you run the risk, though. If you do decide that this is the route that you want to go, you, you run the risk of further injury with Zach, who can't seem to stay healthy. You also are probably not going to extend demar right if you're saying let's just go for it one more time and you don't want to spend money on demar going forward there's a risk that's implied with this that i'm not sure if the kg i'm not sure if if, if the juice is worth the squeeze in in seeing this play out what are you gonna do you're gonna you're gonna uh trade demar you're gonna trade yes. zach yes when we start and we're gonna start and, and caruso well i don't know and if they i i think that you're right that they probably can't trade zach for enough value to make it worth it but mm -hmm. caruso and demar i'm not sure that you get a ton back for i i think that caruso does get you something and holding on to him even though he's great like i i love him as a player i'd love for him to be on the bulls for a long time i'm not sure that it's it's worth it if you don't have a team that's already kind of close to being championship level Okay, I understand that, but you have to, and I'm and I'm going to go back to the way AK ran the, ran the show in Denver. He did not trade his core players. Okay, he hung on to them until guess what? They turned out to be what they are now, champions. Now I don't know whether the Bulls can do that, but that's the characteristic of the front office. They do not trade their core players. Um, now, well, if 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 Detroit wants to give me Bogdanovich. Jaden Ivey and a first. Now I got to think about that. That's equal value. Okay. Because I've heard about that trade. I'll think about that trade. Okay. But any other thing, if you, if you try to give me what, um, D'Angelo Russell, um, Hachimura from the LA Lakers, I'm not doing that. That's not equal value. Well, if there's a first okay. round, I'm pick, not, I mean, trade, this, but they're going to trade. They don't have any draft capital though. I mean, they're, they're, they're capped. They don't have picks. And they're not a playoff team. Well, they're sitting in ninth spot right now. I mean, I think they could be a playoff team when Pete Will gets back, when Zach gets back. Uh, you look at the game against the Phoenix Suns, what were they missing? They were missing scoring at the end. They went through a drought. You look at the game last night, they went through a drought, scoring. Guess what Zach Ravine provides? He provides scoring. You look at the game against Portland the other day when they were on the road, on those last uh, road, road trips. 
They lack scoring, a scoring drought at, in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. We and, and and like you just heard Stacey say on the clip before before I came on, you can't depend on Demar to bail us out every time. That's why you got to have a a second scorer like Zach Levine. Who else? Who else would you guys trade Zach for right now? Oh, I mean, who's available? Yeah, make me an offer. That that can. I'm not. If if, if it were just, I would do it for just draft picks. Nah, man, that's starting. That's starting over, man. Yes, we don't. We don't want to do that. This isn't going anywhere. This thing's done. You don't. You don't know that. I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay. I mean, I'm. I'll. I'll take the under on on this on All right, this build is going. That, now I'll take the over, and and we'll agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> what are we send right. the number at? But as far as how how far they get in a playoff series, I I don't think this build is going to win an actual NBA playoff series. And Kendall, you say yes. Yeah, I believe in them. I believe they can win a, when they're whole. Okay, with the with the emergence of the way that uh, P. Will was coming along before the heel injury, with the emergence of the way that Kobe White has assumed the leadership uh, of this team, I believe yes, they can compete to win a playoff series. Okay. Like I said, we still haven't we still haven't seen these guys all together because they've been injured. Because well, they're old. Well, does that does that scare they're you? Because that because what, what, what is what is old? Because that Demar's old, Vooch is old. I mean, your two of your key players are hitting their mid thirties. That's old in the NBA. Um, like I said before, I totally disagree with you. I think we can make a run, um, keep this team together until the summer. See what you can do now. After the summer, uh, I mean, when we get in the summer, if we if we have not made a significant run in the playoffs, now that's when I start uh, thinking about trading pieces like Zach. Unless, like I told you about the offer from Detroit that I heard about, then I think about that. I will ask you this. In the meantime, when we're in this no man's land of trying to figure out not only who's starting, you know, when, when you see Caruso and Io starting and you see mm-hmm. how they're trying to figure out minutes, whether it's a guy like Javon Carter, whether it's Julian Phillips, and we're also still waiting to see what happens when Tory Craig comes back, because that that to me is such a huge variable, his injury. No, who it is. You- I'm sorry. No, well, there's that, but also like, you know, what you've seen out of those guys who have to make up the difference here. Yeah, just your thoughts on all of that piece of it. And and Tory Craig, too. Well, you know, Tory was such a big piece of, of what the Bulls did because of what he was bringing off of the bench, his his defensive capability, his, his three-point shooting. He was playing really well before he got hurt, uh, which bolstered the bench for the Bulls. I thought that Zach had after he came back after the 17 uh, game absence from his injury, that he was fitting in perfectly, that he was moving the basketball and, and, and scoring when he needed to, that he was accepting the role uh, that, that he needed to, um, you know, and that, and I felt like P will with, with, with Zach's absence was learning how to score. You know why? Because he wasn't in the corner so much. Okay, he was he was getting his offense out of the wing, the slot and the top of the key position. I felt like everything was rounding into form. But now we we got decimated uh, by injuries once again by by Tory, Zach and now P. Will. So so that's why I say you really don't know what you have. But but we had when we had all of those guys on the floor uh, after the five and 14 start, uh, I really liked 
what we had. The Bulls were, 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 were starting to hum again. And that's why I say that I don't want to break this team up until we get those guys back and until we see an extended run from them. What are y'all now in, in Rich Township? Y'all the dinosaurs or something out there? Is that what it is? The, ra- the Raptors. <laughs> what was it like to go back there and have your jersey retired? Oh, it was it was great. You know, uh, actually, it was re-retired. So so it was retired at Rich Central High School years and years ago. Uh, but since they closed all uh, Rich East, Rich Central, and Rich South and made the school one, they took the jersey down. Um, uh, but, you know, thanks to the school superintendent, the principal and everything, they decided to, one, uh, re-retire my, my number, and two, uh, also recognize my team of 1986, the Rich Central Olympians that uh, lost in the state championship. So they, we, we got a big team plaque as well. Do we just fast forward now to the college part of this discussion that comes after <laughs> high school? Because the Illini won last night, and I'm yeah. trying to figure out who this team is. I guess I got to start with asking if you think they're going to win the Big Ten regular season. Yeah, well, it, it's tough with Purdue and Wisconsin playing well. Um, I think that also Northwestern, uh, they lost to Northwestern last last week. and overtime. picked up big, Yeah, in overtime, picked up two big wins against Indiana and Ohio State last night. Uh, I think with Terrence Shannon coming back, they, they have to, I, mean, I know Terrence had a, a really good game last night. Uh, they have to reacclimate him back into the fold and, and, and see what type of run they can make for the rest of the big 10 season. Um, you know, Purdue is going to be awfully tough. I mean, I, I believe that they're the number one or two team in the country. And, you know, of course, Wisconsin is always tough too, but, uh, Hopefully we can put together a run of games here where we can vie for the uh, for the Big Ten championship, you know, because I think if, if they get there, then Brad may be considered, uh, you know, if he finishes uh, second uh, second or third in the Big Ten, he may be considered uh, Big Ten coach of the year. Uh, right now, I think that that, that goes to, to Matt Painter right now for the job he's done. Um, but there's a lot of guys in consideration. If Northwestern moves up there, Chris Collins may be considered. Uh, coach of the year uh, in the Big Ten. So, I mean, it's 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 good for the league, good for the two schools um, that are here in the state. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying watching. See, what I thought you were going to ask about high school to college I was, was going to say how many coaches are, are hanging yeah. around the front door lately. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, hey, listen, the recruiting process has been been great. Um, my, my son uh, is – actually, I think he's getting – tired of it right now you know and you know i i wouldn't be surprised if he made a decision in you know march you know i know it's early he's still a junior and everything but i wouldn't be surprised you know he's he he just he just doesn't like uncertainty he likes he likes certainty so uh you know i wouldn't be surprised if, if he made a decision great schools recruiting him and uh you know, it's it's his decision in the end. We'll we'll see which way he goes. Is he so, is he definitely going to do the college thing, or could he go to like a G League Ignite or go play in Australia or something like that, and just take a a, a pro tack from the start? No, absolutely not. He's okay. a he's, <laughs> he's, he's he's a straight A student. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was dropping him off in in uh, to school at Saint Ignatius this morning, he said, "Dad, I got all A's and one B. I got to get my B up." So. He's, we, we, he is going to school to graduate. He's already got a plan. He's going to graduate in three years. And, uh, 
you know, that's that's what he has his his mindset on. That's going to be that's a time commitment to do that and play high level D1 basketball. And, and well, wow, that's that's asking an awful lot, man. Yeah, well, it, it does. But I mean, you know, St. Ignatius is a is a very difficult school academically yep. right now. Uh, and you know they run the basketball program over there like a, a pro pro program. So he's he's had he has to um, manage his time now. So when he gets to college, it's not going to be any problem. Kendall did a water fast for seven days. Did you guys know yeah. about this? I no. did. No. What? Is, <laughs> Kendall the... did just water for seven days. Yeah. Well, like the uh, soup count? No, not not the soup. Just just water. Just just hot water for seven days. Um, you know, it was it was tough. I'm telling you, especially after day three. Um, you know, it's it, it tests your mind. It's the, honestly, I've been through all kind of stuff in my life, but that's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, especially when you uh, have people eating around you all the time. And uh, but I was able to get through it that seventh day. I got to tell you, the seventh day, I really wasn't even hungry, you know, because I'd gotten used to to not eating. But there's so many health benefits from it. Um, the main reason why I did it is because, you know, I had a colonoscopy and, and they found uh, seven polyps, three of them precancerous. So, you know, there have been a lot of studies that if you uh, go without food for seven days, that um, you reduce your chances of getting cancer by 70 percent. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do that twice a year now. So, you know, uh, I've had a lot of family members that, that have passed away from colon cancer and things like that. So that's the main reason why I did it. I, I'm probably going to still be talking about it to people and asking you about it until you do it again, because I'm still, no, I, I'm still I, amazed. I, Layla, I just finished a two-day two one yesterday. So, you know, I'm making it part of my, my normal routine. Well, if I, if I'll do the same thing. If I can go 72 hours without a Popeye's six-piece. <laughs> that would be my equivalent. We had chicken in a bag today. <laughs> well, but I'm saying if I could do the three to, three days without a full Popeyes binge, that's going to be my my health commitment. Oh wow, wow, man! No, no, I don't, I don't do the Popeyes anymore. <laughs> All right, more for me. Just the Big Texas when it's in the vending machine. You got to keep now, that you know away, oh, Lawrence. You know what? I I I I haven't even touched one this season. That's great. <sighs> Not one. Yeah. Wow. Hey, look, that that colonoscopy scared the hell out of me. It's it's a it's a very important test that people should get annually if they're closing in on fifty, and definitely if they're over fifty. Really, just over forty. A lot of people are like they want to adjust the guidance. Depending on your genetic background, yes. Yes. No question. You got got to get it. You got to get it because I waited. You know, I'm thinking my ego got involved. I'm an athlete. I'm strong. I don't need to do all that. Well, guess what? But the doctor said, man, if you had waited six months to another year, you'd be in some serious trouble. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about that test is that it it is both something that they're looking for stuff and they can also take stuff out. So like that's the that's the beauty of the colonoscopy is that it's not just diagnostic like there's treatment inside of the testing. I had the same thing. I had mine when I turned 50 and they found three, two of which were the kind that would be considered potentially precancerous. And they took them out. And that's why they popped them right out. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have another one next year because now I'm on on the every five year plan there. Yay for preventative care. Yeah, how about that? It's very important. I'm glad that you're making this like part of your mission, Kendall, because especially in the black community, like that test is uh, something that people need to take a lot more seriously. 
and and I'm glad they, that you saw the the reason why the test is so important. Yeah, it's, it's so important. So if all you, if anybody out there is listening and you and you're avoiding going to get your colonoscopy like I did, please do not do that. Go and and take care of it so you you can have preventative care. You know because it it it, it could cost you your life. So important advice. Great stuff. Yeah, go do it. Appreciate all the right. time, Kendall. Thank you. Thank you, Kendall. All right, all right take care. That's Kendall Gill. And what he said about you know, thinking I'm, I'm in great shape and I'm an athlete and I'm big and strong and tough, there's another lesson here. There's another something that is happening in another sport similarly where there are some examples that need to be set. The same kind of thing Kendall's talking about. Some youth sports news that you are very passionate about. I'm, and I'm, this, is, this is good news for bad reasons, but it's still good news. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. If you're a youth hockey parent, you know all about neck guards. And your kid, no matter what, should always have a neck guard on. Your coach should always make sure Every practice, every game, your kid's wearing a neck guard. And if you are a USA Hockey official, you should make sure if you see, if you and you're officiating youth hockey and you see a neck guard come off, high school hockey, you see a neck guard come off, you stop the game and you make sure it goes back on. You figure out whose it is, you make sure it goes back on. For the first time, USA Hockey is now going to enforce mandated neck protection for 18 and under. I think it should be for everybody. I don't understand why NHLers wouldn't want to protect their jugular and carotid artery from a sharpened skate blade. Because Do you think that the, well, let's try to rule some stuff out. The weight of it is negligible, right? It's so the, the isn't, it isn't a speed thing. Tiny piece of little nylon. And, and now there's even fabric. There's like turtlenecks that you can wear underneath, almost like a goalie neck guard that are it's it's a, a light fabric that's got titanium fibers in it that is enough to keep a wayward skate blade from actually slashing your throat. We saw what happened with Clint Malarchuk years ago, and we saw what happened in England with the former NHLer who tragically lost his life to a, a skate blade that came up too high, and this is in large part in reaction to that. But I would love to see the examples set at the highest level of the game. Wear neck protection. It's it, It's stupid not to. We're not talking about subconcussive hits building up over time. We're talking about one freak thing that could kill you immediately where you stand. And it has happened before. And horrible things do happen in youth hockey. They're freakish things. And the, no matter how much you play, no matter how many minutes you spend on the ice, there are knives all over the place moving really, really, really fast and violently. So make sure, as a hockey parent, Always, always, always. And insist. Talk to your coaches. Make sure they insist. You can't out-tough a knife to the neck. Period. So I'm, I'm glad that USA Hockey is doing this. I'm glad. And it's gonna, it takes parents and it takes coaches and officials, tournament directors, to really, really care about this. It's easy. And it's, it is the last thing you could ever... It's unimaginable to imagine the 
the potential regret for not doing it. Wu-Tang had it right. Protect your neck. And Wu-Tang is for the children. Facts. I would also like to follow up on something that you and I have discussed and we have discussed as a show following what happened with Damar Hamlin. The state of Indiana has taken active AED legislation into practice. Have you seen this? Good. In fact, they, in June, sent out a memo saying that sudden cardiac arrest training will now include training of the use of an automatic AED, external defibrillator, for drama and musical leaders, and it's required by the Indiana Department of Education. I thought that that would encourage you, since we're here talking about all these preventative measures. It does encourage me, and we've talked about it, too, on these airwaves and these similar efforts in this state to do that. That's another thing that can be done relatively inexpensively that's going to make everybody safer. Yeah, I thought it was a a really forward-thinking bill, and it didn't get a lot of discussion here. We touched on it briefly on the news, but uh, bravo to the state of Indiana for also introducing AED requirements and how those can save lives. When we come back, something we've been thinking about, every couple of years we've had the story of the demise of Sports Illustrated that this time finally, finally did happen. Well, originally the brand was sold off to Meredith Corp, and then it was sold to the private equity vampire squids that sucked all the value out of it without ever really understanding what it did well and what it meant. So... I've been going through old piles of stuff that my parents have been trying to get out of their house, including stuff from the back of the closet of my childhood bedroom, including several perfectly preserved, pristine Sports Illustrated issues, some pretty special ones. And it just helped me remember how every Thursday what it meant for the SI to arrive. And our discussion burgeoned from there into the idea of young sports fans now and a lack of tangible items connected to their sports fandom and sports education, of being able to hold and have something that's real and has actual weight. And what what that might mean and maybe how things have changed a little bit. So let's discuss all of that next here on The Score. The Score! This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. You know, I, I've been watching this game probably longer than you've been born. I have people at work calling me Sports Illustrated and everything else. Sports Illustrated used to be a thing, and it's just funny that this uh, we had the coincidence of the fact that I had these bags that I've been going through of not just old Sports Illustrated, but like notebooks from my college classes. I found a program from a three-on-three tournament, the the shoot-the-bull three-on-three tournament that I played in. And in the newsletter, you know who one of the writers is? Casey Johnson. Yes. Casey Johnson was like a a college intern or whatever it was writing these stories in the the shoot-the-bull newsletter. I've got so many things in there, and I can't wait to start bringing them in now in this in the content desert that we're in for the next couple of weeks. I got some cool stuff. I do like that little Bulls Fest thing that they do in the summer. I think that that's cool, along with the tournaments that are played. I think that's a really good idea on a way to like kick off the season by the Bulls. But seeing the Sports Illustrated and just the nostalgia of what some and remembering so many of the covers and remembering walking out to the mailbox on a Thursday with that feeling of the Sports Illustrated is here. 
And it was a the subscription was a present from my paternal grandfather when I was what was the year seventy six, so I was I was seven years old, I, and it was whatever year Mark the Bird Fidrich was the thing, and he was on the cover, and it was just the biggest deal. Like that was my first grown up magazine subscription. Well, Sports Illustrated covers like because the photography had always been the best of our profession, like if. It, it was a status symbol. If you made it onto the cover of Sports Illustrated, it was a way to mark history of, well, when is LeBron going to be on the cover and how many covers will he be on? And is is that a way for us to measure his, the way that, that he's reigned over the NFL, the way that Michael Jordan has? It's it was always like a thing. So it's what was the national zeitgeist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but so what I'm wondering now, now that I, I raised a, a crazy sports fan kid, and he we had cards, but he didn't really collect cards. You know, we'd get him football cards or basketball cards or baseball cards, and I we de- we have an unopened set of his birth year, several unopened sets. I believe he's just going to keep. I don't even know which rookies are in there. But those are still sealed, still in the plastic. You're just going to hang on to them. But he never had stuff. There was never, other than actual sports equipment, there wasn't these. There, there weren't these ways. There weren't like I. I'm. I think we have to be careful because I, I'm not sure that we know. Um, I mean, you're probably better suited to talk about it. It's just a different. It doesn't feel like they have the same type of time capsule capability that maybe we had where we're talking about sports illustrated covers newspaper clipping but as as marking points right and and when you cut it out and pinned it to your wall that's different than saving it on your phone when every night you go into your room and you finish your homework and you can go back to sports illustrated then or maybe there's something in the something cool that you see and you cut it out and you stick it on your wall that's there for years until the, the the corners of it are yellowing, that's part of your life. Oh yeah, I mean, I've moved twenty times, and I still kept Sports Illustrateds that were handed down to me. Mm. You still have them? Like I, yeah, I mean, my collection used to be absolutely ridiculous. Like some of the I, I had to throw a lot of all my stuff into a storage unit in Houston when I was uh, moving out of Houston when I got laid off there, and I. I got rid of probably half my collection, unfortunately. Like I had the Kerry Wood like two thousand four cover where we're asking if the Cubs were if that was the Cubs year. I got rid of a lot of it, but I saved the Cowboys and the Jordan covers. So like I have the the cartoon illustration of Jordan, you know, are the Bulls so bad they're are so good they're bad for the NBA. I got all the commemorative Cowboys. I even got like the Rangers one when they went to the World Series in twenty eleven. And you know, when you move that much, that's the stuff that you really, you're only bringing what you really deem important. I had the Jordan cover that just sold for $126,000. Which one was that? A Star is Born, the one where he's elevating over Mike Dunleavy. Yeah, you said that- you had it. What happened to it? I don't know. It's just not there. It's not in this. I mean, I've got some old Jordan covers. The coolest things that I had that I went through, I have every, and they're in, in incredible condition. I have every issue that featured the Bears in 85, except I haven't found yet. I have I have the 
Bears on the Prowl, which is Jim McMahon throwing the pass in the white uniform after the win over the Niners. I've got Jim McMahon in the playoffs against the Rams falling into the end zone by the pylon. I have Chicago's D spells doom for the Patriots. Think about that. The pre-Super Bowl cover of Sports Illustrated. Headline, Chicago's D spells doom for the Patriots. And it did. Of course it did. And then I have the, the one that came out after they won that just with Dan Hampton with his fist in the air and it says Superman. And those are all in perfect condition. But they've got my sticker on it, so they're not really worth anything. But the point is, it means something to you. Yeah. And it's about you remembering the feeling you had when you saw it and what you remember about watching your favorite team or reading an article that stuck with you. And they shared information. You know, they taught us things. If you were like me and you didn't grow up with a huge sports fan in the house, that's how you learn. And it was from, another, but you're learning from Frank DeFord yeah, and was, from Gary Smith. And it was an opportunity yeah. to read something that you Rick were Riley interested in, too. Was, Rick Riley was probably the most formative, just based on my lifetime and, like, my age of learning. And, like, I, I was the oldest, so my brother played soccer behind me. You know, if I wanted to learn more about the Cowboys, I had to watch games and read all the articles I could find. And they weren't as easily findable. Well, it, for, and I think that's why we attach ourselves to this. For me, it was like a nice break from academia, where it was one of those things that I was allowed to read that didn't have to do with school. Where my parents would say, okay, the, there, there's a list of things that you can have. And then as you got older, that list expands. Like when you're super young, it's like, you can read highlights. I loved highlights. Oh, yeah. I mean, I. Goofus I, was my guy. Highlights. Not, not Gaunt. Yeah, he's kind of an ass kisser, you know. Oh. I know this is going to shock you, too, Zero, but I loved National Geographic for kids. See? There it is. Yeah, I think, I think highlights and Ranger Rick. Do you remember Ranger Rick magazine? I don't think I ever got Ra- Ranger, Ranger Rick. Ranger Rick was my first subscription. It was sort of an outdoorsy kind of nature science magazine and i got that but but when i got si that was an arrival that was i felt like a like a big kid because that was not a kid's magazine no and i just also remember questioning why they took such an editorial stance on certain things like do you remember the why the university of miami should drop football cover yes it's funny because you know i'm i've been trying to convince tony gill to to take up the, the University of Chicago, like, history thing, and I think he's going to. And that, to me, is is that story is connected to it because that's what the University of Chicago ended up doing for 30 years. They shuttered Division One Big Ten football program because, partially because, there was a battle between the athletics department and the academics and they were trying to answer this question in the four, in the 1940s about how much power should an athletic department have over a university and in the 80s and early 90s that same question was mm-hmm. being asked about the university of miami and i want to see there's a donna shalala connection there she too she was president she was president of of miami. university of miami but i think there's a university of chicago connection with her ah. too 
I'd have to look that up. Somebody asking, do you have the Bears cover of the 44-0 win over Dallas? That's the only one I haven't found yet. If I could find that one, that would be the full set of 85 Bears SI covers. I know I had it, and I'm still going through some of this stuff because I'm finding the other magazine that, I mean, I mean, I had multiple subscriptions after the SI one, but my National Lampoons, I don't know what they're worth, but these are like vintage, vintage National Lampoons with articles by John Hughes and Tony Hendra and the original writers there. And I think as we get older, the question of what it's worth because of how society has changed is going to become less and less about what it's worth on an open market if you want to sell it, but more and more about what it's worth to you. And somebody nailed it, I think, earlier in the text when they talked about having semi-hoarder parents. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes. We all do, at least (laughs) at our age and our generation, because of what their parents went through. Right. Savers, not necessarily savers, not necessarily hoarders. I but there is a fine line, and you know I joke all the time about antiques roadshow being the gateway drug, but when it comes to living through something traumatic and how you saw that passed on to the generation who's shaping all of policy right now, down to how big our houses are and how much room we have to store things. It's so funny because I've moved what twice in the last. Three years, four years. Right. And I realized when I was in the closet, and I have a closet in my garage, and I'm like, oh, this is the stuff that I just move with me. It doesn't really, like, there's sentimental value to some of the stuff, but it just kind of, it, it doesn't even have to be reboxed up. Like, if I were to move again, they could just come get it. And right. it's just like that stuff. And you go, do I need, do I actually need this stuff? And also, what does that stuff symbolize because of how your parents taught stuff symbolizing things meant to you? That's interesting. And, and I also think it's fascinating how kids now, especially hardcore sports fans, when they grow up, what will be the touchstones? And I, literal the touchstones. The, it, to me, it's about how the tangible nature of things. And it's one thing if your phone, your memories, or Facebook sends you a memory or something pops up and say, hey, remember this, because it's something that you remembered to to snap a picture of or something like that. But it's I'm probably not a neutral example, but I know when my son, if, I, if he opens a drawer, it's all of his various game pucks for hockey games that have a date and an achievement written on them, game balls for baseball with a game and an achievement written on them. But, but, but that's at a micro level. And that's also for his own. Like, right, I'm, that's what I mean. Right, like I, That's not the macro level of sport itself. Right. And we could expand this conversation to talk about music. Like, oh, yeah. when we used to go down to, to Lori's Records and get the WLS top, whatever it is, you know, the AM top list that was a chicago thing you'd go to rainbow records in highland park you go to your local record store and i have some of those too where i would save the fact that my sharona was was number one again i do think that i like that we there aren't as many gatekeepers now there's no doubt about that in my mind i like that it's not one media entity telling you to act and who you should cheer for and who's important i like that there are many options we have benefited from that and I know that many hold skepticism and an attitude toward it, but our data bears it out. So 
That's where I start. Lawrence, but when you say music, though, do you mean like actual cassette tapes yeah. and albums? Yes. And, albums. And, 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 al- and album covers. And you could even expand it into magazines because I used to be somebody who would go and, sure, Sports Illustrated was something I was interested in, but like I couldn't afford, my family didn't afford the like a subscription. So I got to go sometimes to pick up a, a magazine if I thought it was like a cool cover. So, yeah, Sports Illustrated, but also The Source Double XL, yes. like hip hop magazines. That's what I was really into too. Well, and and to me, it's the question is how are you gonna how are you going to record your memory, right? And like when you talk about downsizing, it's hard for a lot of people like our parents' age, for example, their parents' age, because the stuff has so much meaning to them. And and it's hard to translate the concept of you can keep the memory. But how are you keeping the memories now without the stuff? Yeah, and and like what? How does it elicit? Like anytime that I, I'll go into those containers and I'll be like, oh wow, like here's a here's a picture from high school, or I haven't thought about that person in forever, and I actually have like a picture in my hand. Is one of the things I did for Christmas this year was I use a it's called mixed tiles. There were pictures that I had on my phone, and I'm like, these pictures should live in people's houses. Like, they should be able to see them without scrolling. So there's this great picture of my brother, his son, and his son at a basketball game. And, like, that picture just means a lot. And so I gave it to my brother as a Christmas present so he could proudly display it and that he doesn't kind of have to try and figure out, wait, what year... Was that on the phone and go into the album? There's something about like having something that 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 is within your reach, which is tangible, you know, a touchstone that that I feel like is still valuable. Now, maybe there are people who feel like it's less valuable. And trust me, like the digital, I'm big on the digital too. It's just that there are some things I say it to people all the time. Like folks will post stuff on Instagram, and I'm like, that's a frameable picture. Like, don't just leave it to Instagram. That's something that, that's an artifact that you should just have. 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 Instead of it being a digital artifact that you might lose, depending on, hell, the dude that's in charge of Instagram is in front of Congress right now talking about stuff. I, th- yeah, you never know when your free storage is no longer free. I, I also and think gone. there's something to be said when you see a, when you find a, pr- a photograph or when you find a newspaper or a magazine to get a sense of time because it's aged. The digital images themselves, they don't age. Uh, the people in them age, but they don't really degrade. Like, in like, some cases, but you they can degrade. tell you find new ways to identify age. You do. It's kind of like how people now think overly fillered faces look old. Yeah. We used to associate wrinkles with old. We're always going to find the way how. That's like, true. There's a reason the kids want the 90s aesthetic back. You know, like, I, you didn't live that life, kids. You don't know. You don't know that we had no filters and, like, bad pictures and you had to wait for them to get developed. Yeah, but the but point the, is, the there's a... the only place I'd go back to, though. But now it's identified by, like, the trend and, and how it's put together. And we can have a whole discussion about... The, the ridiculously short cycle of trends now and the corporate machines that are that are making machine. those happen. But, but what are our kids going to throw out? Right. Well, I mean, 
Are they going to well, have? maybe not throw can, them. Do they even have their own real estate to throw things out? I mean, we just did a story talking about what could potentially be MC Hammer's storage unit that wasn't even his. I, I really fail to believe that masters like that would be stored in a storage unit all willy-nilly, but you just don't know. 708 Texas says, Lawrence, does your brother still have all his house records? Of course. Also, he's got all of his record records. Like, his his house is basically a shrine to vinyl. And I'm convinced that it's part of the reason that he won't move, because he doesn't want anyone to move his records, which I get. Yeah, because has she had him appraised? Yeah, I mean, if he has, it's, it's. I mean, it's literally like you walk into his house and it's every wall. He's like he kind of did the same thing that my dad did with books with records, and it's it's amazing. And again, shout out to Tom who was the manager at the the Bennies in Orland because he came out to me and was like he's one of those people that don't know that Braxton didn't know that Braxton and I are related and then he figured it out and he's like wait a second here i have all of your brother's records and i was like he appreciates that so i do, do I. think there's been a somewhat like pendulum swing back into the buying of physical music and dvds because as we see streaming start to streamline you're seeing people try to have a tangible copy for themselves i don't know if, if people and studs you could probably help me out with this i think ray and i are probably aligned in this I don't know if album covers and liners were as big of a deal to you than it is for those of us that like grew up with hip hop as like our primary because you wanted to know like who produced that record or you know what I mean? Or, or if you're going into like some of the R and B stuff, you wanted to know like what, what record was that? Who wrote that? Where, where, is that the, is there anything similar when it came to 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 rock music for you? Like, were you looking as a drummer? Were you looking at stuff? Well, no. If there was anything I was looking at as a drummer, I would either listen or have to look up the the bars for it. But the only thing, like when it came to like the album covers that I liked, were if they had the lyrics in it. Mm-hmm. Right. That was because it wasn't as easily. It you couldn't just Google on your phone you had to use dial up internet if you even had it then so that's the only way you could figure out like hey i can't figure out what the line of the second chorus is excuse me while i kiss this guy instead <laughs> right of, exactly you know, so sure. it would but it would be on the album cover but other than that i never re- like that's the only thing i really used it for i love the 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 insides of albums like the double albums the fold outs and all that stuff well people use that for weed well the, but just when you would <laughs> listen did. but when you would listen to a whole album it's how you you built your scheme. It's how you built your associations. This is before music videos. Right. It was the art yes. of the, the album visual, cover. The visual component was what you had. And like when Pink Floyd's The Wall came out, and you're like, whoa, what are these hammers? And what is this all? Like with the symbolism and the artwork and all that, that's all you had. Or, or even my parents' generation when Sgt. Pepper came mm-hmm. out and there were all these mysteries and conspiracy theories of this hand is over Paul's head and all of the people that were depicted on on the Sgt. Pepper cover that when you listen to the album you're, and to this day those songs come back and what you're picturing in your head are still things that were sitting there on your lap because you couldn't just click and, and know absolutely everything or more than you wanted to about your band. The- I also remember though there was a time where 
there were articles being written about how music videos had become too expensive and the sets had become ridiculous and the the CGI had become outrageously pricey. And this is before people consume most of those things on their phone. So so they got like cinematic. Like mm-hmm. you you knew exactly who the director it, was, it was in the video. Hype Williams, Hype Williams yeah. of course. Like everything with Janet was amazing. Like there was a scream video with her and Michael, and that that reportedly was super expensive. And then it went away because the technology changed. Yeah, the CBA on it was was really, really lopsided. Let's take a break. I want to talk about the actual sports illustrated. And what it means and what it now means or doesn't mean. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Isn't this Matt Mervis's walk up music? How's he doing? And will he ever be seen again? Probably hey, the not. Cubs signed a guy. Hey, maybe did. maybe he's their first baseman because they don't have one oh, as it stands. Oh, yeah, it'll be Morell or it'll be Michael Bush. I don't know. Morel, or Nick Madrigal. Mervis, Mendick, Madrigal. <laughs> and Nicky Delmonico. <laughs> so you were saying about actual Sports Illustrated and its sad demise. Well, it's another like sad like data point in our relationship with Sports Illustrated. And it's, I was thinking the other day, like I follow Sports Illustrated because they have, they still, until what had happened had happened, had some great writers and you see a story like, oh, that's really interesting. And they're given the leeway to to go a little bit deeper. Like one of the, the best stories that I read in 2023 was Sports Illustrated doing four pages on NIL at Michigan and how Michigan really went in on NIL that everyone there was prepared. They were ahead of the game. And so it hasn't been, it wasn't as uncomfortable for Jim Harbaugh as it was for other coaches, some of which who have retired partially because of that. So there was still great journalism. There was still great photography that was out there, but it, losing its place as kind of the the magazine of record when it came to sport is so sad and, and discouraging quite honestly like i know that that we'll talk about it a lot from the standpoint of what we do for a living and there's consolidation taking place in every facet of what it is that we do now there's some good that comes from that I think that it's great that there are a lot more people that are doing videos and podcasts and that they're doing stuff specifically on TikTok or Instagram. Also, the very idea of cutting down trees to mash them up and cover them with ink and then use fossil fuels to propel them places, there's a really solid argument against doing that. Correct. I was also going to add when I was talking about the at least immediate democratization of who you're getting your news from what worries me is the corporate gatekeeping of where they decide to put their money behind which media it used to be about like how you chose to consume it and that's always that's what scares me about at least this time is well there's no more money in newspapers so you're just not going to have them i i worry look 
the three of us probably think too hard about a lot of these issues. I feel like I worry more about what happens to the consumer than the consumer. Yeah, of course. I mean, and society. There's that whole, you know, fourth estate thing. Yeah, because we can look at it from the inside and go, oh, that's every company is is trying to figure out ways to to keep their soul like what it is that whatever their mission statement or whatever they're hanging on to as their mission statement. And it just becomes more and more difficult as you see more people not being able to, to live well enough. Most people who get involved in, in any form of journalism don't think that it's going to make them rich because the truth is most people who work in journalism don't ever get rich working in journalism. But seeing that there are so many people now that are like, eh, you know what, I'm going to go take these skills and do something else with them instead of working in this and seeing the demise of Sports Illustrated, not that it wasn't foretold. I, I think everyone who was looking from the outside and a few people from the inside were like, that's going to fail and it's going to fail miserably. And it did in, in an embarrassing fashion. It still hurts that it failed because of what what SI, what Sports Illustrated meant to any of us who love sports. That's why I'm so proud of the folks at The Defector. I'm so proud of them, of David Roth and Drew McGarry and Lauren Thiessen and everybody else who let go from the the collapse of old great deadspin at the hands of, of lunk-headed private equity for them to form their own company where they own it, they operate it, and they've all found a way to make a, a decent living doing what they do and producing outstanding, intelligent content for the smartest, most discerning consumer. I mean, Craig Alcatara did that by himself. He did. And after he did. He, so, so did Darnell. he got let go, yeah. Yep. And there's, here's a thought here that was sent in from a listener named uh, Peggy. Peggy says, as a nurse educator, I did many lectures about neurological injuries, and I often would say, here's the latest information from my favorite journal coming out every Thursday. Was it the New England Journal of Nursing, the Journal of the American Medical Association that are published weekly on Thursdays? No, it was Sports Illustrated. Yep. Outstanding articles explaining difficult neurotopics, secondary impact syndrome, talking about the death of the high school football player in California, posterior cerebral circulation dissection, a young child hit by a puck at a hockey game, post-concussion syndrome, chronic, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, mental illness, outstanding explanations, great medical diagrams, investigative reporting and editorials. I will miss reading sports articles that matter. The stuff that they even did with DeMar Hamlin. You know, that, right. that tradition continued even through last year. So it's it's a it's sad. Like it's really, really sad. And and for those of us who just wanted to know more about about your team and about the history, and you had a first generation parent who didn't grow up following the Cowboys or football, or you were the oldest in your family and you didn't have an older sibling. If you wanted to find more information out about that, if you wanted to learn about the history, how are you going to do it? And that's, that's, for some of us, that's how we learn. And as I mentioned in the, the previous segment, what I take away from it, like my connection with Sports Illustrated that I think will have a, the, had the, the longest impact on me is the photography. And what the photography did to explain 
how good the athletes were. That you were seeing it. In, Great point. In, in a way that you're like, how is that? How can one make one's body do that? How can how can Simone Biles do that? It also, I remember, do you remember the famous shot of Ben Johnson? Yes. And his there was a bulge in his deltoid. And people looked at that and said, that doesn't look right. That's not natural from an SI picture. And then they went and researched and it, and, it. And it turned out it wasn't. And that's how we got Carl Lewis singing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. He'll make up for it now. He didn't, though. He never did. <laughs> he said that he was going to. But he never quite got there. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. It's such a great fight. I never get tired of it. And the rocket. Uh oh. <laughs> I make up for it now. Let's talk about Caitlin Clark. She's and, here. And now he coaches track. You know what I saw the other night, Dan? I was going to text oh. you. Not him. Never do that. Let me guess. Is it as good as Jason Goff running into Biz Marquee at Mariano's? What? Yeah. It, no, it, I didn't run into this person. I just saw him. Oh. And it, it's a former bull and a former television star. A former bull and a former television star? Mm-hmm. Mickey Johnson. This is Reggie Theus. Oh, Reggie the Us. Re- I used to run into Mickey Johnson all the time. Really? Yes. Where? At a radio station that I worked at. <laughs> Why was Mickey Johnson? Because he was on the Man Cow Show. No, 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 no. He has his, he, at the time, I don't know if he still does. I hope he still does. He had his own um, extermination company. Mickey? Yeah. Wait, Reggie Theus? come over and take care of the bugs from Hang Time? Yeah, that Reggie Theus from Hang Time. He's, he's now the athletic director at, at Bethune-Cookman and the head basketball coach. And he was a, a Boers and Bernstein basketball expert. Yeah. Hang time. They were just on ESPN, the Bethune basketball That's That's team. where I saw him, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Reggie Theus. I didn't notice that part. Yeah. I had to write highlights or is something. He still, is he still impossibly handsome yes, in his old he is. age? Yes, he is. And it connects with our favorite subject, th- those Miami teams, because I think he tried to hire Ed Reed to be the football coach at Bethune-Cookman. He did. I thought you were going to say, like, the Zach Morris is trash part. Zach Morris Saturday is trash. TV. We got to talk about Caitlin Clark. We'll do that next here on The Score. Bernstein at Homes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. If you're a Bears fan, we've got you covered. Latest updates and discussion on the Bears for the offseason underway. Download the Odyssey app, search for 670 The Score, and tap follow to receive alerts on our Bears coverage. And if you can't get enough Bears coverage, check out the Take the North podcast with David Haw and Dan Wiederer, breaking down the biggest storylines for the offseason. Follow Take the North on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. What is the get-in price for tonight's game of Iowa at Northwestern? 230 It was 176 on Monday, so... Price has gone up. Justin Kaufman, I saw a piece that he did on Axios on it. I think it's like two two thirty five or two thirty six, something like that. But the the price, if you want the the court side, is like fourteen hundred. Hey, what? I saw eighteen hundred and seventy three dollars. That's a lot of dollars. 
for each ticket. That's a lot of dollars. That's but a lot, but she is a sensation, Caitlin Clark. You could see her put up 40 tonight. What is she averaging, 32? Mm-hmm. Something like that? It's But it's the other stuff. She had some lie the other day, and it was like 33, 10, 7, and like five or like two steals or something. You talk about a force multiplier. Like, that's, that's what it, it looks like. And she's a lot of fun to watch. And she just kind of occasionally will just black out. And, and then she's just like, oh, she just hit one from 30 feet. She goes into God mode and it's just mm-hmm. like, you're too far back. What do you mean I'm too far back? She just crossed half court. Yeah, you're, you're, too, you're far too far back. You're too far back. Nope. And she's going to make that shot. So it's on my list of things to watch tonight. I'm looking for, I can't afford to get in, but. Here you go. You can get two tickets for row one, section CS, $3,900. Oh, good. $3,900. That's It's right there for you. All right. Why? And this, by the way, this is why NIL is a good thing. Yep. Because those tickets shouldn't go for more than what people should earn for being that good as adults. Most expensive ticket in the history of Northwestern basketball? By a mile, right? I don't know. I mean, I used to pay big money to go see Tim Young back in the day. Imagine those Evan Eshmeyer years. There were a lot of them. Oh, I, I remember when he was on the Mavericks. But I uh, all five minutes. It was listen. At that point, fans were just happy to have a full roster of players with NBA experience. Okay, you had to start somewhere in the early Dirk Steve Nash years. All right, like we don't we don't talk about it. All right, Layla's got to go, and we got to do a line change. So do your Super Bowl promo. Join 670 The Score in Circa Sports, Illinois, for the Big Game Party on Sunday, February 11th at Benchmark in Old Town. Mully and Haw, Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi, and Parkinson Spiegel will be broadcasting live from 12 to 3 p.m., getting you ready for the big game between Kansas City and San Francisco. You must have at least $100 in your Circa Sports, Illinois app to attend. Doors open at noon. There will be live entertainment and complimentary game day bites. Maybe I'll give you one. Go to CircaSports.com to sign up for the invite and more info. Transition is next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts Listen to every MLB game live The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone Stream minor league affiliates The Midwest League home run leader And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. 
Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.